And ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. It's that time. Yes, generic video game podcast. This time it's number seven. You are once again joined by myself, Anthony, alongside my illustrious co-host, none other than Shidoshi. And the problem is now, again, you know, I'm just going to be honest here. We are re-recording this intro because we had a little bit of a technical difficulty. And so, and I now have like no witty thing to say at this point because I've already said my wittiness. I've used my wittiness up already for this show. I have nothing left to give. You have exhausted all of your wit, but uh, one thing that's still going strong are the fans of the Morning Project family of podcasts. All 12 of them. You know what, though? It's it's not the quantity, as they say. It's the quality. And the quality of the fans we have are head and shoulders above everybody else in the podcasting landscape. And uh, in all honesty, that's not really hyperbole because Shidoshi and myself over the past 14 days have been very humbled at the, do- the donations, the positivity, the tweets, the emails. Um, and opening their wallets. And I don't mean that crudely. Uh, it was shocking. So um, we will do appropriate thank yous, get into some names, whether it be either later on this episode or on a separate recording. But we want to first and foremost to let everyone know that it hasn't gone unnoticed. And we're very appreciative uh, as we sit here using our studio high-end quality, these brand new, beautiful, the yeti the blue yeti microphones um they're fantastic really high quality pieces of equipment uh pretty much just steel they've got some real good weight to them um we are now all getting on the same page that being whether it be gbgp the nichiest podcast ever warning a huge podcast um so everybody uh, it's it's all to give a better show uh while it's been baby steps and this one has been more of a leap um it's, it's been helpful all around, and I can't say it enough, and I know Shidoshi feels the same, to thank the fans. Yeah, and, you know, w- when I put my thing out there saying, hey, hey, it would be awesome if, you know, anybody would want to donate money to get us a, a new microphone or two, um, I was expecting maybe a microphone or two. I was not expecting us to have gotten to the point where now pretty much all of our hosts as of this moment – can have new microphones and i am extremely extremely humbled by that you know and and the thing about new new equipment and you touched on just a tiny bit um is that there's always gonna be a breaking period of of getting used to it and finding out which settings are, are are the best and which distances and stuff like that you know so this is our our first show where both of us are on these new mics so you know, give us a, a few episodes to try to work out the kinks and figure out what works best. But hopefully, going forward, it'll it'll just create for um, better quality audio, which I am always trying to get us. So, yeah. So th- I want to echo that. Uh, no pun intended. As we work out some kinks this evening, uh, you know, want to thank the fans for their patience and for a lot of the issues and mistakes that have been happening this evening. Much of that blame goes on myself. So uh, thank you for bearing with me as I'm audio uh, incapable. So uh, we're working through that. Want to thank you again. Also, uh, for the Generic Video Game Podcast, uh, while we're at uh, officially Episode 7, it's somewhere around our 10th recording, though, overall. 
Uh, we've been averaging probably three and a half to four and a half hours an episode. Uh, while those days, I'm sure, will return this evening, we want to do a bit more of a lightning, a little bit more of a concise episode. Uh, we're going to probably try to complete the rest of this recording within the next 60 to 80 minutes tops. We'll see how that goes. We have more recordings planned. Uh, before I, I forget, I said this on the last episode. I'm going to say it again. We have a couple little um, interviews lined up. We still have that second part with Terry. Uh, I reconfirmed with him again this week. I know everybody's schedule has been crazy, both on our end as well as his. There's still interest there. Uh, I do know he's got some new stuff that's going to be showcased once again in March at the upcoming Monster Palooza, and he has a fantastic Michael Myers piece of Halloween. Looks phenomenal. So hopefully we can get him on while that's still um, uh, uh, relevant and to push some of his new work and finish out his stories of present day and what he's up to today artistically. Uh, Outside of that, for this evening on Episode 7, while we usually have a topic at hand, in the past we've done everything from Sega to SNK to conventions to video games in general. Tonight it's going to be about the fans fan mail, and maybe a little bit of potluck uh, smorgasbord of video game news all rolled into one in the next rapid fire 60 minutes. We have a we have an email from somebody who wants to say how wrong I am. So that's very exciting. And and, and, and he, he says so in uh, no less than 2,813 words. So. And that's a gentleman, I believe, Joseph? Joseph, yes. So I'm very excited to see uh, just how wrong Joseph thinks I am. Well, this is going to be interesting to me because I have not seen the email. So uh, I've only had a heads up as to us getting a piece of mail. Had no idea it was of that magnitude. And I have no idea what someone could write over 2,500 words about uh, in correlation to uh, GVGP. Yeah, wh- what does he think he is? Me writing an EGM review? <laughs> is it you going under an alias? Know. You know, I have, I have... I have 20 previews to write this week. Wow. <laughs> I'm, actually, I'm actually happy you brought up EGM because we can stay on this topic for a little bit. I did take a look at EGMnow.com recently. Um, I, I don't, I'm not going to lie. I don't go on there religiously every day. I think it's all about forming habits. I, this is going to sound very um, butt-kissing, but I know when you have a big review, I always do my best to get on there and read it, such as Guilty Gear and, and whether it's something in the Persona family, etc., um, I did happen to catch though recently, it was, um, I don't know if unique is the proper word because unique kind of uh, insinuates one of a kind, but it, it seems like s- new stuff gets tried on that site at least every once in a while. For example, the, the first thing that comes to mind was the Tearaway review yes. you did approximately 16 months ago. That was beautifully done. The layout, the look of it was different. Uh, instead of just putting virtual ink to a a basic background. This past week was interesting as well because while uh, nothing to do with maybe niche or Japanese gaming per se or something outside of the radar, the Evolve review was done, uh, I thought, very well. Yeah, no, that was a... a, Because when we we were first thinking about it, because what we're trying to do is, is, you know, come up with some different things to do with our website just because... For a long time, the site was really just news focused, and so what we're trying to do is do more features and, and more things to just kind of show personality instead of just you know sporting out news. 
so when we're thinking about evolve and doing the review, we're like, well, you know, there, there's there's five of us main staffers in in the in the office. We have like other people working in other places, but there's five of us main in the office, and there's five roles in the game. So why don't we try doing our review in a way where each person in the office they pick one role for the game and they just play that role and they come at the review you know talking about their experience being that certain uh job class in the game so i like that it's very clever not to get too into this and spend our whole show talking about another show but um i did hear the podcast that kind of coincided with that and it was interesting because part of the takeaway was that even though that unique aspect of the game you have uh, one job to focus on and everyone plays their part, sometimes that could wind up being either overwhelming or underwhelming depending on the situation you have to await. Right. Yep. Hmm. Yep. And then we said we're doing some different things. Like I, I know everybody is very curious about uh, Criminal Girls and I promised long ago that I would play it at some point. So I actually have, I have done two separate videos for Criminal Girls. Um, one will be coming out actually through Morning Project and that is where I spent the first hour playing the game and doing mm. commentary over that so that should be mm. out in the next day or two so by the time you hear this podcast it should be up on youtube our youtube channel and then i also sat down with our managing editor andrew fitch who is also he's kind of the other person in the office who who's into who the weird japanese games and so i had already done my first my my, my hour play through the game so i sat down with him and talked to him while he had his first experience with it and that'll be going up on EGM hopefully this week. So, mm. Well, I'm going to jump around a little bit on you here before we get back into uh, the, the fan focal point. Um, we'll just start right in with this. Last week, uh, pretty big week. A new handheld hardware launch. New 3DS, were you a part of it? Nope. I, I <clears throat> am boycotting this thing completely. Because <laughs> I, 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 I have a 3DS XL. And right. I just don't use it. I never use it. It's just it's just too big for me. Mm. I do not like the size. I don't like the screens on it or anything. And I was so excited for the the standard new 3ds. And then right. Nintendo America is like, nope, you don't get it. So, all right, I'll just keep using my my old school 3ds. And because it, it's still working fine, it's it does everything as I need it to be done. So I'll just <laughs> keep enjoying that. So, so you still you still use the old OG mm-hmm. the the original? Wow! I had uh, a and I I I feel bad now because I'm spacing on who it was exactly, but I had somebody who donated it the 3ds to me because that was the point where <laughs> where I was like I'm not getting a 3ds. I I I refuse to. I'm like if somebody wants to get me one, I'll, I'll I will uh, you know. I will play it, but otherwise I'm not going to get one. And somebody was very, very kind, and they had been meaning to donate for a while, I think. So they, they donated um, the 3DS to the show. And mm. I I did – I you know what? I always – this always happens. I ended up falling in love with it. And I just like the small little one because it's, it's very easy to carry around. I just throw it in my bag, and, and you know, it, it works fine. And I don't see a need – I know some people, you know, have the kind of – big american gorilla hands you know those kind of people who <laughs> enjoyed the duke controller back in the xbox but i'm not like that so mm. it does everything i needed to do except for having the little nubby thing but right i wasn't a fan of the little nubby thing on the new 3ds so i don't know i, I mean i wanted well, i wanted one for like the face plates and stuff right but i don't get it that, that aspect was cool i won't deny 
um, that had me interested as well. Uh, I will also say that if you and I agreed on everything, it really wouldn't be that interesting of a show. So uh, I don't want to disagree just to disagree, but this is a good point where I can kind of go a different direction. I think it's good for the fans instead of me just sitting here going, you're right. So, and, so you, uh, you, have the, you have the big gorilla hands, don't you? I don't really have the big gorilla hands, and I, I do like – I usually like smaller pieces of tech. Um, you know, for example, I never really cared for the grenade Xbox controller. We and not to get off on wait, this wait, separate wait, wait. topic. What did you just call it? The grenade. Did well, I've never heard this. I believe it was the yeah. I'm pretty confident. Wait, the, um, you mean like the original Xbox controller? Yeah. Now see, now it's 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 code name is Duke. That's why everybody calls it the Duke. Yeah, I, I I don't know where I picked up the. Gr- Why did you I, hear, that's I've that's so weird. I've never heard it called that. <laughs> Maybe, maybe I need to get some more rest. I was like, maybe, maybe I, like, I just like the hood you're from. That's what they call it there, you know? <laughs> I'm pretty confident. I Yeah, I didn't expect this topic to come up, but I, for some reason, I always remember calling it the grenade. Wow. The grenade controller. I, maybe I'm nuts. Interesting. But usually I do like more compact and nicer pieces of tech. The, the 3DS XL, I'm speaking for the Nintendo family in this specific series of products, so this does not go across all of my electronics where I'm like, I got to have bigger is better, uh, you know, like the Neo Geo. So the the XL really changed me. I, I've gotten into this in the past. I'm not going to repeat everything I've said. Um, I Look, the resolution, is it a standout type of thing where it's like, wow, those pixels look pretty big? You know, it's... Um, you know, is it noticeable? Of course. I'd be a liar if I didn't tell you that, you know, you've got to readjust after using things such as the, you know, the Android phones or your iPhones. And that's a totally different topic for another day. So, yeah, I mean, because s- what the, the, the resolution, like the height is like, I don't even, is it, is it 240? Is it actually 240? Mm, somewhere, yeah, it's, it's primitive. It's, I mean, it's I'm, so crazy if you actually sit here and think about like, because I mean the 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 3ds. I mean, obviously the thing is the trick is that its its horizontal resolution is double what it needs to be because it has to do that for the 3D effect. But effectively, the resolution is like 400 by 240 or something like that. That mm. is that is that should be a further remember lower resolution than the PSP was. That's crazy. That's crazy how low res this this 3ds is at this point. I mean, because the Gosh, the Game Boy, the original Game Boy, was like only like 180 or so. So in all it's, in all those years, it's, it's only progressed by like 100 or less pixels uh, in, in terms of height. Yeah, it is insane, and I can't, you know, I can't backpedal and say like I, I can't really talk my way out of that in a sense of like when you look at this screen and you look at the Vita or you look at the iPhone, where you're going to be mesmerized. Um, I don't consider this a job, this podcast, but I wouldn't be doing my job if I said that that would be a lie. But simultaneously, you also learn that resolution isn't everything. No, and once not. again, you can still get powerful visuals on that hardware, and it always comes down to the gameplay and the games at hand. Now, would I like them to look at least a little bit better uh, resolution-wise? Sure. But that aside... The, I really liked it. And I'm not just talking the screens. The screens were bigger. I thought it was easier on the eyes. And the hardware itself, in my opinion, felt a tad sturdier. Now fast forward about 18 months approximately, and now we've got the new 
3DS XL stateside. I did happen to pick one up. I got the uh, the Monster Hunter 4 one via GameStop.com uh, exclusive. And the system, I dare say, is a tad lighter, but the size overall is about the same. They they moved a lot of stuff around, uh, a lot of stuff you can YouTube it or look online. I don't want to repeat much of what our listeners probably already know, but the card slot is now like on the bottom left corner. The volume slider is now on the top screen on the left. The 3D spot on the right is about the only thing that hasn't moved around. Um, the... Uh, what was I going to say? It's so if you like the XL and you get this, it's you know it's it's going to feel about the same. There is that nub which Shidoshi isn't uh, really taken aback or blown away by. For someone like me personally, especially with Monster Hunter, makes a world of difference with that game because for those who don't know, you know Monster Hunter offers a lot of options to control that camera, and it's not a game breaker. You can use the bottom screen. You can manipulate the layout for uh, moving the camera, or you can use the L and R triggers. But let me tell you something. When you use that nub to move it around, which is, feels like a mini hard eraser, and for those who don't know, it may be a little odd at first because it doesn't really move at all. So when you're pressing it, you're kind of like, am I doing this right or is it working? But in my opinion, um, it feels fine because the reaction you get from it, it, it just works. Yeah, and, so. and and I I will I will be fair on this, you know, in in that I really didn't use it for that long. I used it at TGS, um, playing Monster Hunter Four with it, and it just felt super sensitive to me, and like I felt like there wasn't a whole lot of travel distance on it and stuff like that. So I had my complaints about it, but I have not, you know, sat down and really tried to use it the the system long term. I I really do wish they had just made it two of the kind of circle pad things, you know, because I. I think they could have worked it out so you could put two on there. But, you know, I really, really wish that's what we'd gotten instead of just this tiny little nub. But, you know, it might be better than nothing. Or, you know, I mean, I also, I know people hated it, but I liked the little slide pad thing on the PSP. And that might have been small oh, enough that they could have put one of those kind of things on there. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the, the PSP thing wasn't bad either. I'll give you that. Um but I would say I'm sure with the design of it, and I'm sure they had reason, you know, you're exactly right. It They may have been able to do it, but by putting this, what we'll call the mini hard eraser on there, yeah, it um, it doesn't really change the real estate of the, the 3DS itself, no. the face of it, you know what I mean? Yeah. So that, and then they, they added two more triggers up top. There's LR, and then Nintendo has to be fancy. They can't, they couldn't call it R2 and L2. They've always got to go like ZL or ZR, and I, I never remember it, but they added two more of those up top. The CPU, the horsepower, the speed is actually speedier. Uh, boot up times slash load times are quicker. I have not done a side by side comparison of this in person. I did not expect it with this game and still haven't seen it with my own eyes, but I've been told by other people who have purchased this system with Monster Hunter 4 as well that Monster Hunter 4 running on new 3DS is a hair superior visually to standard 3DS. Yeah, so it's supposed to be visually better and load faster and things like that. Yeah, so I knew the load times and stuff were uh, speedier. I didn't realize it had a visual up. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was a big day for Nintendo, though. That hit Monster Hunter 4, which is now the best-selling Monster Hunter title for the West. 
And then Majora's Mask also came out. That was the best-selling title on that day for the handheld. Not a surprise. Um, so kind of an exciting and a big day. So pick that up. My, my biggest complaint, and I'm not going to go off on this too much, even though for those who follow me on Twitter saw me screaming and yelling for a day. Ugh, boy, I just can't stand those data transfers. Yep. Going from one, I did it once before from the old school 3DS, we'll call it, to the first XL. And it wasn't that bad. Mind you, the card was smaller at the time. And, and I think I did that one all over the air, but you have a couple options. You can, one of the ways you can do it is you can start the process on both units and then you can pop the, the SD XC card out of your, we'll call it the XL, dump that data onto your computer and then transfer that to now what are the micro SD cards of which the new 3DS uses. Now, for those that are trying to play along and do this type of transfer with the directions I'm giving over the airwaves here, don't do it because I'm giving you bits and pieces. <laughs> you'll you'll want to do, you'll want to go online. I know GameSpot. Uh, um, you can find some other videos on YouTube. Kotaku, Kotaku, excuse me, Kotaku. had a good link. Kotaku. <laughs> I mean, they they do do a lot of food reviews, so you know. <laughs> I've got so many words coming out of me right now. But if you go to Kotaku, I think that's the one I ultimately used. Um, And I just kept pausing it. I had my computer in front of me and I was doing side by side with the 3DSs. I got it done finally. Um, I'm glad. I can't believe believe the Nintendo knowing how bad their transfer process is. That with that, like that Monster Hunter bundle. Um, they just give you Monster Hunter as like a game already on your SD card. Okay, I, I'm gonna okay. So I'm gonna speak firsthand on this because, and the fans will be happy to know that I actually did my homework on something here for once. My biggest fear with that was that I okay previously the card I had in my standard XL was a actually it was a 16 gig, and of that I learned I've used approximately just about four. Hmm. Okay, that's that's a lot on there for the 3DS. Keep that. That's a lot. And then I bought in advance. I bought a 16 gig micro SD card like months ago because I knew this day was coming. And then, as you just said, the Monster Hunter Four set comes with Monster Hunter Four pre-installed on there, and it really is pre-installed. They don't give you a code. So I said to myself, "Oh, don't tell me." Because one thing that is a fact is you cannot combine data from various SD cards and come clump them into one other card associated with you. That's not possible. Yeah. So my theory was that, well, with all of the stuff I have in my standard SD card, which is a ton, ton of classic titles like NES, Game Boy, all the Ambassador stuff. Look at it this way. The Ambassador games alone pushes me at over 20 games right there. So I said, I can't lose my old card's data for Monster Hunter 4. So I may lose Monster Hunter 4. I will tell you in all fairness, because at one point in the transfer, it does do a connect to the eShop, and I don't know if it's for basic, just like down, like text data. It's not taking memory data, but like it checks, does a check of some sort. And I will admit, once I did all the transfer finally, and I got it done, everything went correctly. And then I went into the shop, and then I think it was like download management or the download section. And I will admit, associated with that system, it would have allowed me to download Monster Hunter 4 again. The reason I didn't is because I wound up buying a physical copy, so I Mm. own it physically. Mm -hmm. But if you do go through those same steps I did, you can re-download it on the new unit. Keep this in mind, though. 
The card that comes with the standard Monster Hunter 4 set is 4 gigs. And I did the math in terms of the blocks. And if I did the math correctly, because it doesn't... Unless you dump the data on your computer, you don't see the real count. And I want to say that game takes up about 3 gigs of that 4. So there's the little rant there on the new 3ds i don't want to eat up too much time tonight on just that yeah because i mean i was gonna say because i have a friend who was stressing over that process because he got the monster hunter version Mm -hmm. and he called me he's like i have no idea how to do this that that i actually trust and so he spent like hours looking online and trying to find all these procedures for doing it and then he finally tried it and it did work out for him but i think it's just i think it's crazy like why not even give it as like a download code or something you know like well in this case and you know usually i would have been the first person to say you know what thank god they pre-installed it because now i don't have to download it right but you know what in the unique nature of this situation i'm with you it, well, well you know what my answer was how about this just throw the game card in there in a the little plastic not even the yeah. full case yeah how about that problem solved well, I mean, yeah, if, if they're not even going to do that, you could just give the download code. You know, right. that way you don't have to even have the cost of right. the cartridge itself. But right, crazy. So that was that was convoluted. I'll say this in conclusion on that. And I don't want to look. I know kids today are quote smart because kids today are growing up with smartphones, iPads. I you know they're they're better than their parents. Everyone hears that cliche like, oh, you know, I can't believe how smart my kid is using today's technology. They're better than me, and to an extent, that's true. But. I don't know if I'm out of line for saying this, but for that process I went through as an adult, and I, I feel like I'm I'm decent with technology. I can't imagine your average kid going through all that with their Nintendo oh, yeah. product. I mean, do you, I mean, do you, are you of the mindset that you feel like they must run into a lot of issues or get a lot of phone calls? I would assume so, because like yeah, I mean, said it's just it's the it's convoluted. The process is so terrible, you know. Right. I mean it. I, I guess I don't understand at this point, like, why why they can't release a firmware update that just makes actual proper accounts. Well, well let me ask you this. For Nintendo, because they're notorious, and, and in all fairness, for their rights and their property, I don't blame them from a business perspective. But do you feel a lot of this is due to trying to evade some other form of piracy? I, I I think that's probably part of it. I, I think I think it's partially just they're they're wanting to have protections in those ways, and I also think it's just the fact that Nintendo is an outdated company in terms of the online stuff. I mean, right? You know, they. I mean, doesn't the Wii still like? I don't know. Like, how, how does the Wii U work in terms of of friends and stuff? You still have, to have friend codes, correct? Yes. But then those work across all games. I have several friends on my Wii U list, but I've yet to do a game online with my Wii U yet. Okay. Yeah. And the only big jump they made in the last like year, year and a half is if you have funds left on your 3DS. Let's say you're using your handheld and you got five bucks left, and then you go on your Wii U. It used to be that the money was separate, yeah, but, but yeah, now they've tied. Together. So, like that was like the biggest leap, which you know, which is laughable. But like that was the biggest thing they did in recent time. But well, and, I mean, and to be fair, like they when the 3ds first came out, I think you couldn't, I think you couldn't re-download digital games. Yeah, and you know what? I've never re-downloaded because I've always out. done that data transfer. But I can't imagine what a nightmare. I, um, 
Yeah. So I mean, I, 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 I've, I've, and I could be wrong, you know, but I, I feel like it was a situation where if you deleted a game, it was, because I mean, like that's like it's fun, so funny about now, but when when iTunes first started, um, it literally was if if you had one download of a song, and then if, it, right. if anything happened to that file, you you were just screwed. So you were, it was assumed that you had just would make backups of your music, otherwise right. you could never re-download. And I just for some reason I, I feel like that was the same with the 3ds eShop was that you couldn't re-download it first and that came later. I don't I don't know. So I mean there have been updates in different ways. It's just I like thinking about you know like I want I want a new Vita right because I want one of the Vita 2000s. Um, I I could just buy a Vita and log in with my account and just re-download all my games and all of my saves. Right. Takes me no more than five minutes to do the entire thing, you know. Like that's what I want on my Nintendo systems. And I've said it before, you know, I, I my my Nintendo ID is now stuck on my work Wii U. I can't get it off. <laughs> I'm laughing, but that's I know yeah. I wouldn't be laughing. It's just, if that it's was just me. like I, I wish that stuff was better and I wish Nintendo wasn't so far behind on some of these things. Like right. you know, I think with the Wii there was kind of a yeah, you know, Nintendo's kinda of like your grandpa. Like, oh, yeah, Grandpa doesn't understand. And, yeah, Grandpa sometimes says bad things about black people, you know, because he's just from that generation. He just doesn't get today's, you know, world. Um, but there's only so long you can, like, put up with Grandpa. Right, right. And I just, I just kind of feel like Nintendo, I, I mm-hmm. wish you would just hire whatever, it is the, you know, whatever the, the staff you need to have to really have – a proper 2015 user account system. Right. And my, my the last thing I'll say, uh, and by the way, I'm a big 3DS supporter, even though it doesn't sound like that in this moment in time. And Monster Hunter 4 looks fantastic, by the way. My biggest complaint outside of what we've just discussed in terms of their online elements, they need to get their butt moving and get those SNES classics on 3DS. Well, no, I mean, okay, not only that, where's, where's Neo Geo Pocket? Yeah. What? Uh, I'm sorry. Does not make perfect sense to have Neo Geo Pocket. SNES. Um, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. S- I, I heard SNK. That's all I ever hear. When the first letter is S, that's all I hear is SNK. SNES. SNES. Genesis. Neo Geo Pocket. The in Turbo Graphics. No, no I mean, forget. Okay, no, wait, wait. Forget all of that. Where is Game Boy Advance? You know, I've got ten Game Boy Advance games on there, and they're great ones. But that was only because of the Ambassador yeah, program. That's like, how do we still? I don't. <sighs> that makes no sense. I can't figure that out either. And the weird thing is, is they've been releasing new GBA classics over the last year for Wii U. Yes, I don't want to play Game Boy Advance games on my Wii I mean, U. I can't figure that out. I, I it's, it's in. And look, okay, I know everybody thinks I hate Nintendo. I don't hate Nintendo. Like, my, I have my 3DS. I have a 32-gigabyte card. It is completely full at this point with games. Um, my DS library is the largest video game library I currently own. I do not hate Nintendo stuff. I get very frustrated with them as a company to the point that I could never have them be, like, my, my primary gaming platform just because they frustrate me so much. And and with the 3DS, it's it's like... I don't understand why these things aren't here and I I don't get like what happened because I can't assume that they didn't want to just put a bunch of Game Boy Advance games on the 3DS. 
You know what I mean? Because we, we originally had a, a Nintendo where, uh, you know, uh, Harvest Moon, oh, God, uh, Animal Crossing came out on GameCube, right? Remember how many free NES games were just in that game? Right, yes. They were just, yes. They were just free, and right. they didn't think about it. They were like, oh, why would we try to sell these things separately? No, 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 no. And now they're all about selling them. So why is my 3DS not crammed full of of Game Game Boy Advance, of Game Boy and Game Boy Color, of NES games, of you know Neo Geo Pocket and Game Gear and all that kind of stuff? Or Links? Why? I mean, I don't. Okay, Links maybe wouldn't be possible, but if it was, you know, <laughs> like why are those things not on there? And and like with the Wii U, right? You know, you, you look at the list of like the new NES or Virtual Console games that come out every week. Like, oh great, that game that we got four years, five years ago on the Wii. You know, it it's 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 the it's like the SN SNK thing, right? Uh yeah, I don't think it's as bad as the SNK thing, but it's it's treading in that territory. It's just where they, they start this effort and you're like, Oh, this is gonna be awesome and they always start from zero. Right. And it takes them forever to get anywhere, and then a year or two, three into it, they're just like, no, we're done. Well, I tell you what it needs to get more like, and that's like the uh Apple in terms of like when you update your phone or the next generation, you kind of keep that library that you've paid for, you know? Yep. I, I hate to use the word forever because nothing is really forever, but, you know, forever. And, um, yeah, that, that's that's a whole other topic. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's not forever because I know like Square Enix just pulled um, – I know what you're gonna say. I know exactly. I, I, the world every, ends with you because they couldn't get yes, it to the run world ends right. With you. Yeah, they they couldn't get it to run right, so there's like, eh, we're gonna just pull it. So I mean, there are problems with that, but right. I I would love to be in that kind of world where I would know that all my DSIware and all my 3DS eShop games would just transfer over to the next hardware. Like that's that's you know. For whatever problems Apple has with their stuff, I I like them and 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 you know other other company devices and stuff where we're at this point where it's it's iteration right because right. if you if you had 3ds or the DS overall and you knew every th- I don't know if maybe three years is 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 too short but if you knew you know uh, let's say five years on the road four or five years on the road you're gonna get a, a, a new 3ds right like or or DS two or whatever you want to call it. And be more powerful and everything, but it was an iteration. It wasn't a completely, re, you know, a wiping this of the slate and starting over. Like that's what I want. Like I don't want the starting over every single time. And I, I know with the recent console with the PS4 and the Xbox One, they had to do that restart just because of both both companies had chosen poorly on their previous hardware choices. Right. So they had to do that that re- wipe. But you know, for like PS5. I kind of just want them to have it be the PS4, but better CPU, better graphics, better this or that, and just have it be an upgrade to my current PS4 instead of replacing it completely. Right. And and being a new platform. You know, that's kind of the world I want because, like you're saying, when you have an iPhone and you have games that you bought, you know... I mean, I have games that I bought literally three phones ago that still work. That's what yeah. I. That's that's what I want right. for my hardware and my games. You know, right. I, I want I want to have that option. Mm. So, well, let's go from. Uh, I know that wasn't a very uh, rosy topic, 
But uh, I know fanboys are Nintendo fanboys are screaming at their uh, computer speakers that uh, we're full of crap and that we really do hate Nintendo. And again, we don't hate but, Nintendo. But, it's, it's that we just hate, we hate their their just some of their practices. Well, I'm going to even out. I'm going to even things out for them because you and I both love Sega. I miss the Dreamcast. I was thinking today how much I miss the Dreamcast because today is the. Uh, I mean, okay, it wasn't Dreamcast, but today is. Is the birthday for Jet Set Radio Future? Mm. And that should me think like, and so, so somebody had tweeted like a bunch of in honor of that like a Jet Set Radio and a Code Veronica and uh, another uh, custom Dreamcast they had made. And I was thinking I miss the Dreamcast so much, and part of it's because back then like games were still like hopeful, and we still had like you know we looked forward to the future. And we thought good things were going to come, and just everything like this. The gaming now is just so depressing and and nasty. Well, and it's all it's all DLC and games not working online yeah, DLC, and patches yeah. needing to happen. And I just miss when games were fun. Well, I I do have something to say on Sega here. I want to get to, but before I get to that, yeah, I will say, and I've said this before, but I, I kind of really mean it now. And I need to make this clear. I don't want the FPS to, quote, go away uh, as we, well, you just got done doing Evolve. Yeah. I've discussed Halo on this show, uh, Wolfenstein. I mean, I'm, I'm up and up on a lot of the current stuff, as are you, okay? We've accepted that there are some good titles to be had in the FPS world. But I'm telling you at this point, I am getting, I am really getting to my limit now, like, it's not that I want the FPS to disappear so FPS players have nothing to play. I would never wish that on anybody. But I wish that FPS were no longer at the forefront. You know what I mean? Like leading the way tech-wise. Obviously, game, sandbox games like GTA, there's some exceptions. And your um, Elder Scrolls of the world. But, you know, the FPS is still a strong genre. The, it needs to take a back seat. Yeah, we've got we've got to get away from that being kind of the flag bearer of what dictates engines and you know what I'm trying to say, like the the online elements and what what gamers want. I don't know how you feel, but I just needed to throw that in there. That while I don't want the genre to die, it needs to take a nap. I I, I think with anything, you know, I mean, I'm sure you remember as much as I do. When Street Fighter Two hit and got popular, um, you know how many clones were there? You know how many fighting games came out? How many? Not new, not enough. You know, ah, oh, <laughs> come on. I'm teasing. We got to the point of like Primal Rage. You know. <laughs> so so you know I think it, it just goes in cycles like that and and I mean but this cycle think, this cycle feels so this cycle. But I think to be fair. I think we're getting less first-person shooters than we used to because there was a time when there was a lot of of people taking chances on new games. Mm. But I don't think there's as many, you know, being attempted because I I feel like we've had a healthy dose of kind of third-person action games as well lately. I don't know. I, I think gaming in general though is getting um, dangerous in terms of not taking many chances. I think this generation. I, I would love to see it get better, but I'm I'm more fearful that we will have less of those crazy projects. I mean, because like you look at like uh, the order just came out, right? You right. know, the order 
got really, really mixed opinions, and I'm not sure what the sales are going to be like yet. But if that if that bombs, that's a really, really big bomb. And you know, it used to be that a game like that wouldn't be as big of as an, an investment. So if it did bomb, it wasn't such a huge deal. But right. But now they got to make it. Now they have to have it compete with Hollywood, like state of the art tech, and instead of just focusing on the core of the game itself, because everyone needs a they need a 300 hour experience that looks like Avatar. Yeah. And- Oh, excuse me. Um, I think that two is just it's going to be a problem of not taking as many chances. You know, like right. as much as I love from software, I have to wonder. You know, I mean, there's rumors now going around about Dark Souls three. You know, mm. and part of me is kind of like, as much as I love Dark Souls, I don't know that I want another one yet. Yeah, you don't want sequelitis to hit that yeah. series yet. And because I, I really don't know, like, how much at this point, how much can they change and how much can they deviate? Because this, the, what was so fun about Demon Souls and the Dark Souls was how different it was from so many other games. Right. But now it's to the point where it has to be the same thing or else people, fans right. are going to riot and not buy the games anymore. <laughs> well, that side note aside. I'm going to read some depressing stuff. Uh, this was printed on January 30th. This is via I Love Japanese Games Online. This was not the site that broke the story, but uh, I'm just taking some quotes from their article that they put up. This was in regards for those uh, who don't know or were living under a rock. News out today, which was on the 30th of January. Sega were looking to ditch 300 of their staff through voluntary redundancy in the United States. This is never a nice thing for employees to have to go through, though it will come as no surprise given that the past year has been Sega's, uh, seen Sega's stock drop like a stone and the company struggle to release anything of note outside a small handful of big releases like Alien Isolation. Now, these are quotes. Sorry, that was weird. <clears throat> these are quotes uh, from various uh, former employees, such as, and um, Sonic Boo, no wait, that was shit. So yeah, that's basically it. Uh, I'm sorry, they're continuing on with the article here. So it's no surprise that employees have been somewhat disgruntled over the years and Sega fails to find its place in an industry that changes business models and tastes almost as fast as employees change their underwear. Interestingly, if I can get the words out, website Glassdoor, which specializes in canvassing opinions from employees so that job seekers can get a taste of what they're letting themselves in for, have some nice insight into the working environment at Sega of America. Go grab a coffee. It says, bad business decisions, well above my pay grade. Money over quality was the general attitude there, and we missed out on some great opportunities. Lots of disorganization and internal office politics conflicted the productivity level. Also, lots of animosity across different departments. The anxiety of security also affected work on a negative level. Increased pressure. There is a new directive that everyone be 100% busy 100% of the time. It's pressing people to invent busy work for themselves so they never appear to be dawdling or risk getting the stink eye from the new VP as he helicopters around the office. Quotes go on to say things such as, Deteriorating morale, the new oppressive environment, the constant fear that you'll be the next to go, it's poisoning the camaraderie that was always the saving facet of this company. Everyone is on edge. Everyone is fearful. No amount of enthusiastic floor speeches 
are going to keep people happy when they're constantly looking over their shoulder and waiting on the axe to fall. There's about four or five more quotes. It says, A little behind the market in compensation, the business moves a little slow and new ideas can be hard-pressed to gain approval. Management, it's always the same. They manage through fear and threats. Why can't we get good managers? <laughs> the, the big downside of working at Sega of America is, of course, having to work with Sega of Japan and Sega Europe. In particular, having to work under the management from SOE over the last several years, which, let's face it, hasn't worked out and on reflection appears to have not been a good idea. Yes, I'm biased, but it's also true, isn't it? Infighting among mid and upper management created underlying animosity between groups. Many decisions are made for internal political reasons rather than good business reasons. Business was down 60% in 2007. Americans treated as third class. Europeans treated as second class. Politics rewarded over merit. Poor track record of developing quality games. Game quality is consistently subpar. Little oversight of bad employees, dysfunctional relationships with other business units creates lots of friction in a daily work and long-term planning. Leadership is not consistent in its decision-making regarding personnel with good employees fired and promoted and bad employees promoted and fired. Lack of healthy questioning of process and decisions. In closing, it says, of course, I'm focusing entirely on the uh, the cons, while many are keen to point out the good in the company, though this is universally focused on the camaraderie among um, those at the mid to bottom of the pile, which I guess is the kind of objective reporting you'd find at any large company. However, there's a high degree of consistency among the employee cons. And as they say, there's no smoke without fire. Um, this This kind of hit home because on an earlier episode of GBGP, You'll remember I was discussing looking at Sonic Boom on their Facebook page and I said even I couldn't dare read the comment section (laughs) because I'd never seen a title that literally had, like there was no one really defending it. They have a little hand-drawn cartoon. It's a very primitive cartoon. And it says, meanwhile, at Sega, and one gentleman at his computer says, great to get all this feedback off our new Facebook page. (laughs) And then the opposing gentleman at his laptop is looking and it says, yeah, I had no idea we were such a shit company. <laughs> so, um, let's see. I'm just, let me see here. They've got um, make uh, make less games with more passion. And, okay, they're giving suggestions here. Make less games with more passion and heart poured into them. Uh, get off the zero-sum business plan and spread more bets so projects can live and die on quality. Amazing games will reap rewards in the market. Restore the tarnished. Sega brand, <clears throat> but um, I, 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 yeah, I literally don't understand what they did with Sonic. I mean, they had a super popular mascot, which I believe for a time was actually more well known than Mario was. Oh yeah, and I think I want to say on par with like what Mickey Mouse. Yeah, and and you know, I I don't know if it was just like. I mean, you saw some games where they just couldn't figure out how to make the jump from 2D to 3D. Right. And it was always kind of tough figuring out, okay, what is Sonic? What should Sonic be? But it just, it felt like instead of saying, okay, let's 
put a lot of work and effort into making a really, really good Sonic game, it felt like, okay, let's just keep throwing out games and see if one sticks. You know? Right, it's which like, is a terrible, that's a terrible thing to do. Yes, and that's, you, just, you should just never, ever do that, you know? And so I... I mean, they completely squandered what they had with Sonic. Not to mention with other... other I mean, I mean seriously, like I was talking about Dreamcast before, right? Think about Sega Dreamcast era and think about Sega now. They are such different companies. Like, what happened to that company? Like, what? And not to keep repeating ourselves, and we talked about this a bit in the past, you know, and at the start of them going third party, you know, it really wasn't all that bad, even though it was a tough pill to swallow for Sega enthusiasts. You know, once they hit that original Xbox era, you still saw a lot of that innovation and carryover from Dreamcast era, and you still had some arcade titles like VF4 at the time. Um, They had some really good stuff going on, but then once by the time we hit the mid-2000s, Man, I don't know what it just um it took a downturn with, you know, maybe an exception here and there, but overall it's been pretty uh pitiful. Yeah, and I, I you know, especially when like Sega I mean Sonic is one of the last things Sega really has to, to, to hold on to. Like why do you not why do you not put all of your effort into making a good Sega game? And here's Sonic the thing a, a testament to how strong Sonic must have been, like Sonic was such a great and respected character and property and one that people wanted to believe in so badly that look at how many bad Sonic games they were able to get away with making that still sold rather well. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, the, And even the, the – you saw the news recently that Sonic Boom was the worst-selling Sonic. So I was like, oh, God, that thing, you know – that thing must have moved absolute peanuts. That thing still moved over three, almost four hundred thousand copies. Wow! Which now, mind you, on this on the Sonic scale was the least. You know, that's nothing to be proud of, and that's not the direction you want, want to go. You don't want to keep going down till you get to zero. But I was stunned that that thing still moved at least three hundred thousand. Yeah. yeah, I, I, it's, I, I think the problem. You know, the problem that they have is a problem that a lot of Japanese companies have gotten into is where um, they're content. I don't know if this is right for say, for for Sonic, but it kind of feels like they're content to just play to their fan base, right? And get, and be like, we'd rather we'd rather sell you know three hundred thousand copies to the hardcore and and spend no money on development than spend money and time on development and make something that will hopefully catch the eye of of gamers overall. Mm. You know, like like it's like is it is it just safer bet just to to super cheap out on the game and and sell it to those super hardcore Sonic fans. Right. Which isn't what you would do cuz you're you're going to you know your your audience and your your pool of potential customers is going to just keep shrinking instead of ever getting bigger. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a tough spot, and I uh, I will say this: it's while it's the politically correct thing to say, and it's the cliche thing to say. You know, I do wish everyone well. You know, who lost their jobs or got transferred or moved around. Um, you know, everybody's got bills to pay. Everybody's got an overhead. Most people have family, so I wish those people the best of luck and hope things turn out for the better. And I hope that Sega, you know, gets their uh, 
act in line. And, you know, I don't have this printed out. You know, that was a few weeks ago. Recently, Sega did wind up buying a couple, like, online slash mobile related entities. I just don't have it in front of me because I wasn't prepared to talk about it tonight. But it's there's still money moving around. And what I don't know about that is, is when I saw that, because I'm like, Sega can't have, they got to have peanuts. You know, was that a decision that came down from their parent company, like Sammy? You know, well, yeah, because yeah, their their new goal is going to be, uh, I think they said PC and mobile is their right. new focus. Right, which I love. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Big fan. And I mean, you know, and and like, of course, me being the gigantic Atlas fan that I am, like this this news always kind of scares me. Cause I'm like, okay, does what is this going to mean for Atlas? Is this going to have any... You know, and so far, I didn't think it's had any effect on them, but I, I always right. get a little worried whenever this kind of stuff happens. Yeah, is it like, do they have, do, you know, do they have that freedom until they slip on that first banana peel? Right. You know what I mean? Like, do do they get that free reign with that Persona series? You know, they keep, they're consistent, they've got dependable and respectable sales, but the first time they trip, is that what's going to make them, you know, the first time they start to look at it and reassess and move the property elsewhere, you know, let's hope not. Yeah, that's what you always worry about. But, you know, it's so it's so, it's so funny talking about, like, how squandered Sonic is at this point. Like, look at the just hardcore, not even just hardcore, but, like, just look at the, and I'm, like, my, the words escaping me, like, the, the, the fervor, the the craziness that went around that, that Persona 5 trailer when it came out. Right. I mean, that thing hit, like, a million views, I think, in, like, in a day and a half or something like that. Like, so that, you know, that's the complete opposite. Like that's what that's what, you know, Sega should be wanting from Sonic, right? Is it's like a new Sonic game coming out is a major event, and everybody's getting super excited for it. Right. And what I'm doing right now is I'll read because uh, it's I think the appropriate time. I've got a couple things printed out on Persona. Some of it uh, fans may already know. Uh, my source on this was. Uh, Silicon Era and their translated work of some recent Famitsu news. This was printed about uh, two weeks ago. And uh, we'll start with... Uh, I've got two little quick articles. Persona 5 depicts how a phantom thief might influence society. This is from February 5th by Sato. It says, Persona team producer and director Katsura Hashino recently shared some thoughts on the latest trailer for Persona 5 and the game's characters, he also talked more about the game's theme and ideas in a brief interview with Famitsu. Famitsu starts out by saying it's been a while since a follow-up on Persona 5 and asks how development is going thus far. And it says, quote, We're just about getting an idea of the finishing point as far as the elements uh, we're putting into the game are concerned and their quality. Uh, so right now, uh, they're in the process of fleshing it out, responds Hashino. It says, uh, as we anticipate the release date, we're all working hard towards our goal every day while personally thinking with this title will make everyone happy. So please wait just a little longer. It says, next, Famitsu asks if Hashino could share a little bit more about the theme of Persona 5. He goes on to say, quote, these days, I believe it isn't uncommon for people not to know where they're headed in life or to have various problems, be they big or small, says Ashino. Accepting the rules and values society deems acceptable isn't a very fulfilling way to live, and yet there are those that lack the courage to change the status quo, even as they're held down by it. He continues, this negative side of modern society is part of the backbone of this title. 
In the midst of all that, you have these rambunctious high school kids who fight back against the things that might hold them down. If the game can give people the courage to face everyday life or even act as a trigger for positive change, I believe we will have accomplished our goal. Uh, it says, there's a little bit more here on this article. It says, Famitsu then asks for more details behind the heroes and the Phantom Thief appearance that they've adopted. It says, quote, what if we had a classic Phantom Thief like are seen Lupin today. How would he charm people and change society? That is one of the questions that development began with, explains Oshino. There are numerous novels and movies that depict the lives of phantom thieves, but in order to feel the experience of personally creating a sensation in the world as a phantom thief, I believe that can only be done through games, and only through this game. Having the player empathize with these characters is the most important point of this title. And right now we're focusing our efforts on that. It says, lastly, Persona 5, as we all know, is in development for the PlayStation 3 and PlayStation 4. Yeah, I I am so hyped for this game. And, and it's, it's, you know, it's that trailer. Like, it was so funny because for so long we had gotten almost nothing about the game you know and people were like oh my god does persona 5 even exist anymore and is it game right. actually coming out and when are we is gonna it vaporware yeah when is it, because it was it was originally they said it was originally due for the end of 2014 which they obviously missed but the moment that trailer came out like everybody just shut up you know <laughs> because there were so many interesting little things in it and that that two minutes and whatever that that right. time span was there were so many elements to take out of it and, and so many things we learned and so many things that were hinted at or teased or whatever um, that it was just like, wow, this game looks amazing and, and I, I want to play it. So, Well, that's the perfect way to do it. You know, maintain people's interest right when they were starting to lose hope. Give them a little something, whet their appetite. Uh, you know, that video wasn't much more than two minutes, if that. Um, you know, intermixing uh, menus, a lot of beautiful uh, design, uh, as well as a little bit of uh, gameplay and speculation. And I'll give you credit as well. I don't want to hog it up. You know, I said a very long time ago, not that it took a genius to figure this out. You know, it still seems that the the size of the characters and the look from Catherine were truly kind of testing the waters yep. for what we're going to see in the latest Persona. Um, as a matter of fact, the restaurant slash bar shown in Persona Five mm-hmm. looks strikingly similar uh, to the one in Catherine. Yeah, it, it's really funny. Cause, I mean, cause that, that's what you know. The story was that Catherine's development was in part to kind of help the Persona team get a handle for making a new engine and doing some new design stuff. And I really think you know when you see when you see the video of Persona Five, it totally makes sense, and you're like, okay. Catherine was the ability for that team to try some things out without right. having to try those in a Persona game and potentially scare off the fan base while they're still trying to learn stuff, you know? Like, I mean, you don't want to take one of, your, one of your biggest franchises you have and just do a bunch of, like, random testing in it. You know, you want to do, like, a smaller game that has no expectations, that has no built-in core fan and whatever... And that's where you can get away with, with doing some different things and seeing how people like or don't like them. So, you know, when you when you look at this, like I said, when you look at this trailer, it is so apparent that Catherine was indeed 
kind of a precursor to Persona 5 in trying to figure out how how they wanted to work certain things. And it's interesting because, I mean, now to be fair, you go back to Persona 1 and 2, the characters in those were more realistically proportioned, you know. It was 3 and 4 that got kind of the, the more SD quality. So going back to that isn't so weird. And there's actually a lot of little aspects of the Persona 5 trailer that look like they are going back to some of the ideas of the old school era. You know, the mm. the being able to use um, both melee weapons and guns at the same time. Oh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, and some other um, other things that, that we saw throughout it. So, yeah, I said I'm, I'm super excited. And I, I think it's I'm, – I'm really glad it's not looking like just another kind of P3 and P4. You know, as much as I love right. those games – we really did need to go in a little bit different direction, and that's what it looks like they're doing here. So, uh, Before we get to, uh, and just to, to uh, do a time marker here for listeners here on our, uh, what we'll call our Flash episode, but for the fans and fan mail, <clears throat> we'll try to wrap this up within the next 30 minutes. So I'm going to end uh, this segment on one more Persona piece, and I have a lot more to discuss, which I will save for our next recording. Uh, maybe uh, even after this episode, I will talk to Shidoshi. Maybe we'll even have a bonus round between now and then. But after I discuss this, we will move on to the fans and that email because I have a feeling that email may take six hours. Oh, yeah. So one more persona piece also from Silicon Era. This was four days after the last one. This was by Ishan, but this is another translation of Famitsu. This one's uh, about one page, a little bit shorter to read. This one says, in an interview uh, in this week's issue of Famitsu magazine, reveals that anime studio production IG, um, who worked on Ghost in the Shell standalone complex, side note, a personal uh, favorite of mine, uh, are working on the anime cutscenes for Persona 5. Um, And that was a thanks to Sokuho at Hokanko on Twitter. It says, speaking with Persona 5 producer and director Katsura, Hashino and character designer Shigenori Soejima. Uh, Famitsu have a few other details revealed in their report as well, starting with the game's protagonist. Soejima says that while the protagonist of Persona 5 may appear to be the quiet type from what we've seen of him so far, this is a ruse of some sort. Meanwhile, his persona, Arsene, am I saying that right? A R S E N E. Uh, is meant to give off a more old-school vibe, visually speaking. Our scene's cape, parentheses, wings, question mark, is designed to convey the image of a thief that can go places out of others' reach. Hashino reveals that the main characters meet Anne and Ryuji, the other two characters in the trailer, at the start of the game. All three characters have problems of their own, although just what their problems are is not specified. It is hinted at in the Famitsu feature that both the protagonist and its friends have lost their homes. Persona 5's protagonist also runs into the cat character, Morgana, at the start of the game, and Morgana is said to play an important role in the story. It has the ability to transform. As far as the battle system goes, Hashino confirms that P5 will once again have turn-based battles, but that the team has incorporated several changes to make it more enjoyable. Hashino also mentions that each of the character carries a distinct gun that serves as their ranged weapon. These aren't actual guns, though, even though they can be used in battle. That's the end of that piece. Mm. 
It also says they're looking to make some of that gun battle more akin to Call of Duty. No, they're not. You <laughs> big liar. <sighs> why do you got to lie? I mean, this is our, our fan episode. Why do you got to lie to the fans on our fan it says, episode? It says many of the elements you've seen with the protagonist and his friends are for uh, online-only elements. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, so that gives a little more insight uh, as to what may be going on there. You know, um, speaking of Persona stuff, uh, <clears throat> NeoGAF user Pepsi Man went through and did a translation of a really awesome interview that was done um, back for the original Persona with, and I want to, I know the one guy's name I'm always going to screw up. So there's, uh, of course, Kozi Okada, who was the creator and director of Persona, and then Satomi Tadashi. He was the scenario writer, and then Kazuma Kaneko, uh, who, of course, was the infamous artist. Yeah, I remember um, you. You've talked about. There's us. I, I, I don't ever know. Like, I don't know if it's Kaneko or Kaneko. There's, you can say it one of two ways, and I, I kind of like go back and forth between the two. But you know, so like Okada and and, and Kaneko are, are two very very famous names in terms of people who were instrumental in not just Persona, but the Shin Megami Tensei series, the Megami Tensei series, uh, Megami Ikebuku, I'm going to screw up the name, the what became Persona, you know, um, all those kind of like the main and side series is both. They were some of the people who were really instrumental in Atlas for, for developing what, be, what we, what we now know as the entire Shin Megami Tensei world. So it's a really, really cool interview. It said uh, Pepsi Man on NeoGAF got it translated into complete English. I haven't finished reading through it at all, but it's it's really interesting if you if you care at all about that kind of stuff. So if you go on to NeoGAF, you can just if you just do a search for Persona and then Round Table, um, do a search for that, and that's it. Should be the very, very first re- result you get on NeoGAF. And it's got all the scans of the. So he basically did. He did. A, he did the scans of all the pages. It was a special Persona book that came out in. No, I'm sorry. It what it was was, it came with the, Ibun Ronku. Ibun Ronku. That's what I meant to say. Uh, the Megami Ibun Ronku Persona Digital Collection, mm. that came out in 1998 for for Windows 95. So this there was a book that came with it that had this interview in it, and so he he scanned the book, and then basically just put the English in where it would have been Japanese before. So it's really really cool, um, and to definitely for anybody who's a Persona fan or Megami Tensei fan, um, I would check it out. It's kind of like a historical piece for that series. Yep. It seems like a lost artifact. Yep, and mm. it's <clears throat> it's funny because um, you know I. I was part of when I was working at Game Fan. I was part of the staff that did the English language uh, strategy guide for Persona. We did the official strategy guide for that. Mm. So it was kind of cool because I got access to Persona um, quite a bit early compared to when the game was going to come out here in America. Wow. And that's that's kind of where my love for the Megami Tensei series came from. And I got I got a chance to see a lot of this the things in that game that that people um, didn't see in the final release because for anybody who knows Persona, there's the main section of the game, and then there's a side thing called the Snow Queen quest. 
basically it's it's one of the weirdest things i've seen i think in an rpg is that at a certain point in the game there was a series of events you could do that would go into the world of the snow queen and you would then finish the game that way so it's almost like two com- completely like think about if you're playing like grand theft auto 6 right and you get halfway through the game and there's a series of events that all of a sudden the world of GTA 6 turns to Silent Hill. And that's hmm. that's the rest of the game. Like it's a completely separate game almost. <laughs> so you can't you, you don't go back and finish the main game anymore. But so when Persona first came out here, Atlas actually didn't have time to finish the translation of that section of the game. Oh really? Yeah, so they they basically blocked it off so you couldn't get to it. So all that work so you got to see it in one form but when the finalized version came that that whole spot you saw was missing. Yeah, so I got I got to actually like I could go into the co- they had the debug stuff. Yeah, I was going to say is it buried in the code? Yeah, and I could get to the Snow Queen parts so I got a chance to see kind of like what parts were translated, what parts weren't translated. Like I think really? it, I think at that point like all the voice acting had been done for the the wow. CG cutscenes. And then some of the text was translated, but it just they weren't making it in time, so they they completely shut off the ability to get to that part. And I mean, in terms of Western fans, you know, it wasn't like they were getting screwed because you were still getting the main Persona game. It's just you weren't getting like almost if you consider this days, I think you almost consider it as being oh, like you, DLC content. You know, you might have told this story a long time ago somewhere, but okay, so I might have. Just, I might have been in outer space, so the the Japanese version had both options. Yes. We'll call it, but our yeah. wow. So I mean, so that think about you know, I, I think a good example of this would be uh, the first Dark Souls game when the DLC came out. Mm-hmm. You kind of not to spoil things too much, but you you kind of different reality, some adventures there. It's almost like thinking as as if when Dark Souls was released in Japan, like all that DLC content came with it. But then when it made it to America, you didn't get the DLC content. You just got the main game. So, I mean, we still got the main game of Persona. But it's just that that extra content that was in there, we we missed out on the first time. And, and let, let me ask you. Oh, keep going. No, I'm no, sorry. No, go, ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, let me ask you this before we move into the, uh, the fan mail. The piece you're describing from the original Persona. So, obviously, that was the PlayStation 1 version, right? Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. Yep. And I should know this because I own it, so this is going to tell everyone that I haven't done it. Did they rectify that to an extent and put that all in on the yep. PlayStation Portable re-release? Yep, yep. So if you get the PSP version, it's, it's all in there. Wow. Um, yeah, so they, they finally did did when it came to that version. Mm. Uh, but, you know, I, I it's funny because I think, from my knowledge at this point, and I knew some of the people who ended up having their own websites, but I think I was the first English language Persona fan site. And so it was cool because I had kind of that inside knowledge. So I got I got it a chance to take like screenshots and stuff um, of that section and put wow. it on my site. And I also got to, you know, because of course at GameFan we had the awesome like grabbing stations. Right. So I got a chance to take these really, really beautiful shots of, those, of that stuff. So it was it was it was like really fun for me at that point because you know I that was the first I think that was the first pers- uh, not persona but I mean Megami Tensei game period and again I know persona technically in Japan is Meg- Megumi Ibun Nonku <laughs> so it's it's like the side story of the goddess is how it translates or something like that 
But when they come to America, they're all put under the Shin Megami Tensei banner. Um, Mm. But that was, I think, I think that was the original game that we got from the from the series, and it was just so crazy because I wasn't used to RPGs like that. You know, at that point, RPGs were either outer space stuff or you know high fantasy kind of thing. So having kind of the modern era RPG that dealt with like demons and school kids and stuff like that <laughs> it was so so different and that's why right. i ended up falling in love with it and you know thankfully i i had to do it for for work i can't remember if i actually if i if i volunteered because i was starting to like the game or if i was asked to help out and then ended up liking it but right yeah so that's how i got to know persona and um that's that's that so yeah, well, you got to be jazzed up. Uh, I'm assuming waiting for. Let me ask you this: Are obviously you're excited for Persona Five? Yeah. And as part of your job is, uh, you know, you, you review many top titles. Odds are you'll most likely review that. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I... but but with that being said. Are you excited for that, or is it a double-edged sword because? I know a game like Persona 5 you want to savor and not blast through. But sometimes for reviews there can be a time. And I know you're very good. I'm not saying this just because I do this show with you. But I know you're very good in that you really do complete your games. And you make note of how you complete them at times. And sometimes when you're asked X, Y, and Z you still go through certain games in a traditional manner to give the most honest review possible. But for Persona 5, is there a piece of you that's sad because you would just like to kind of lounge, go at your own pace, and not have to worry about reviewing it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, It's funny because, I mean, I'm a big From Software fan, um, a big Souls fan, but I'm actually not the one reviewing Bloodborne for EGM Mm. when it comes out. Mm. Partially because just the way scheduling worked, but partially because I wanted to just sit down and play it, you know? Yeah, not to have that pressure in the back of your mind. Yeah, and it's it's funny because when when um, Persona Three came out, I feel like I had the game like two months before it was the review was due. So I I put mm-hmm. in like the hundred and ten hours. Which game was this? Uh, Persona Three. Oh, okay, back in the play days. Yeah. Um, yeah. I said I got it at least two months, if not three, before it was supposed to come out. So wow. I I got a chance just to I, – I played it the way I would have played it normally, which, I mean, because I was loving it. So I, I would just play it like every day. <laughs> but it wasn't like, oh, my God, I've got to sit down and, and, and get through this because that, that can be really hard. Like I don't want to be bitching about my job playing games for a living. But right. when you have to play a game versus when you want to play a game, you go into it with a completely different mentality. Right, and it can be hard just to sit down and really care about it when you know you have to do it for work. But so with that, I was fine. And then Persona Four, because we were going to be doing the game as our cover, we got the game earlier than anybody else. Mm. So I had kind of a similar situation where, again, it was like I think 107 hours or so wow. of of playtime. But I had the ability to to do that. But the thing is with EGM. I don't have that ability to, and and it's not not just you know us as a company. It's just the way things work, right? Just the way the, the nature of the yeah, industry nature, right now nature, to stay relevant. Nature of the industry, the fact that games, 
you don't get you don't get games nearly as early as you used to because you it used to be that you oh, could I'm get assuming on, with all the leaks and Twitch and feeds and, well that and just because gaming is so like last minute at this point you know they, they're still yeah. tweaking things and working on the game just till the last possible second so yeah they released a game and it's still not done yeah I mean so we've gotten games like the day before they were going to be released wow. where they expect us to review it in 24 hours you know or we get wow. games you know three days four days a week ahead of time Sometimes we get them a few weeks ahead, which is nice, but it's it's tough. Like I thinking about it right now, I almost kind of don't want to review Persona because <laughs> I want to play it. Like you know, there's there's a small list of games I truly truly look forward to and truly love. You know, so for those games, I'm almost it's almost tough because you're like, well, I do not think anybody else on staff has the knowledge to review this in the way I do. Right, right. Uh, yeah, you gotta. You got to figure something out for that game. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like I would love just to play it myself. Maybe, maybe you can cut a deal, or they give you like a. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe you can get in on that one early. I, w- I would love to, but I don't. Yeah, it's just so tough anymore. Right. So. Well, like I said, as we move along here to uh, <clears throat> what arguably may be our last segment for this episode, and want to thank fans once again for hanging in there with us. And going to radio.morningproject.com, subscribing on iTunes, listening to everything from the Generic Video Game Podcast to Warning, a huge podcast, which had a recent upload in Stage 28. Uh, Speaking of Persona, there were a lot of, quote, revelations on that episode. Oh, that was Uh, was an interesting show, yes. That that show is always interesting and has fans clamoring. Uh, I'd be lying if I didn't say I wasn't at least a tad bit jealous. Uh, also, the nichiest podcast ever still doing its thing, I dare say, on episode 13. So thank you for all of that. Thank you for your support. You can find us on Twitter at 24BitAJE. And Pico Eri, my co-host, P-I-K-O-E-R-I. That's the one and only Shidoshi. Now. Well, you know, I mean, I just want to say that, you know, Nick, yes. Nick Rocks had upstaged me, you know, with, with his personal revelation show <laughs> uh, a few stages back. And if anybody knows me, anybody knows I do not like being upstaged. So, so un- until that bastard Casey finds me to-, to talk about and screws me, then you know, I. Well, well yeah, it was. Uh, well, but you know, I shouldn't laugh. All you know, uh, I'm not laughing at you. I'm just no, laughing no. at. Uh... Yeah. So I mean, it was. Um, but it was an amazing. You know, even beyond that, though, like I really. I think not to talk about a different podcast on our <laughs> podcast, but um, I had a lot of fun on that on that show. I think that you know because one before that was kind of our um, we're coming back after two years right, episode, right, and right. we just want to do something. But that last one was more like us back in our groove and just doing our kind of thing, and so right. we had a lot of fun little things going on. Kind of like riding a bike, as they say, falling right back in, and yep. like no time was lost. Yep. So, so uh, yeah, it was a great episode. I, I listened to it, and. Uh, I, I don't know if congratulations is the right word, but it was a very, it was a very brave, strong, and, and powerful thing to do to come out with that officially. Uh, I was aware of that, so it, it didn't have the same effect. Um, well, well like I said, I mean, like I, I think if anybody was so was right. totally surprised by that, I would be surprised by that. But right. I don't know if it's bravery as much as just I got lazy about things, you know, and it's just like. <laughs> Uh, it's just such a big deal <laughs> saying right. this, this place, and this, this place. Uh, just whatever. 
you, you, you'd be surprised how brave you are when you're just tired and, and lazy. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yes. But uh, but with that, all of that being said, what's up with our new buddy Joey? Well, I and I don't and I don't mean Joey from Animal Crossing. You mean Joey from uh, <laughs> Friends? No, you know I'm not going to go to his yet because I want to go to the other email we have. Oh, okay, we've got more than okay. We yes, have more that, than that one, way uh, we can just get the easier one out of the way. Right. And right. this is from um, Kr. I don't know. I don't know what those initials stand for, but hmm. he or she says uh, enjoyed the new GVGP. Was interesting to hear your choices for remasters, remakes. Uh, although it might have been better to split the debate into two parts. One about HD remasters and ports, the other about remakes like Resident Evil, so that you could spend more time talking about how they differ from the original. I think both Lost Kingdom's games on GameCube by From Software deserve an HD remaster, as they could be as they could make great use. Uh, oh, I'm not going to agree with this. Okay, um, as they could make great. There's a word missing too, so I'm trying to figure out how to say it. Uh, as they can make great use of packs of amiibo cards for monsters to be summoned in game with your card deck on display on the Wii U gamepad. This almost sounds like they want to do a Lord of Vermilion arcade cabinet, but with the Wii U architecture. I'm trying to remember what is Lost Kingdoms. That's uh, was that's not Bait and Kaitos, is it? That was a total guess. Uh, no, I don't. You know, I don't think I've ever played these. I don't think I have either. Because I actually, yeah, I'm, I, I'm not like super up. But on the concept my- sounds like something that was tried with. Um, oh, help me out, Shidoshi. What was the game? It was with iPlay with PlayStation. They had some hoopla came out. With oh, the oh, card. oh! I have. Uh, I have judgment. judgment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it almost sounds like a Lord of Vermilion, I have Judgment esque type concept, but utilizing the Wii U gamepad and main screen for the game and pad mm. for cards. Yeah, you know, I've never seen this game before. Like I said, I'm I'm Maybe not ha- I'm not I'm, too I'm, familiar with some of From's older stuff. I think I, I for some reason I can kind of I think when I see the box I'm going to know it. What was it called? Lost Kingdoms. Yeah, there's, there's two games. Yes, I remember that box from when I worked at the game store. Yes. Never played it, though. So it doesn't change the fact that I haven't played it, but I do remember that box. Hmm. So uh, then he, fin- he or she finishes up. Uh, one idea for a future segment would be uh, to discuss doujin or independent Japanese gaming, especially now that some titles are turning up on digital PC stores are even being crowdfunded online mm. yeah you know it's it's funny because i was just earlier today looking at the kickstarter page for night cry i knew you were gonna yeah. say that which is of course the the uh project scissors game it's by the creator of some of the original clock tower games and then he's got some other he's got and i'm i'm spacing on names. i'm terrible this is why this is why i do a podcast with nick and casey because they remember every single name of every person who's ever existed and I never remember any names, so I let them remember. But uh, the director of Juon and some mm. other Japanese, he's a Japanese director. He's helping with them. And then the Silent Hill um, monster designer who did things such as Pyramid Head. So they've got some 
some pretty I don't know like pretty well known is 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 the right term to say but what some well known Japanese names attached to this this kind of uh, pseudo continuation of the Clock Tower series. Yeah, I believe what was it uh, Hifumi Kono and Takashi yes. Shimizu. That sounds that sounds right. Yeah. Yes, it looks like they just got crowdfunded. They made. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, and so the crowdfunding. So my understanding is yeah. that the Kickstarter was for the PC version, um, and they had hoped to also do like PS4 version and stuff, but it didn't reach that level. But so when I went and I was at, I was at the re- reveal event in Japan, and when that occurred, the original thought was there's going to be mobile phones and then Vita, or I'm sorry, mobile, yeah, mobile platforms, su- you know. So yeah, I was surprised that Vita was on the, or I shouldn't say surprised it was on there. I was surprised it was like the initial uh, spot. Well, it seemed a very um, touch based kind of game. So I think oh. I think the smaller screen and the touch-based nature makes it a pretty easy port to the Vita, right? And then of course the PC version will be you know using the mouse and stuff. So mm. yeah, I'm just taking a peek at that page again. But yeah, so so yeah, but, I'm, I'm uh, yeah, we could talk about some of that stuff because because it's 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 really interesting, you know. Because I remember when I was living in Japan and you'd it was always funny because I'd go to so I lived in Osaka. And everybody knows Akihabara, of course, you know. Uh, but right. in Osaka, their version is called Denden Town, and so I'd always go down there. And there was tons of, you know, game stores and anime stuff and J-pop stuff and, and electronics and, and, and computers and things like that. But there, there was, it was always funny because there would be the game stores and then there'd be the game stores and and those were the stores that just had nothing but these really weird pc games and you wouldn't always uh know that's what the kind of store you were going into until you went into it and then you're like oh because most of the time they were um uh not safe for children kind of games Mm. But it was like a huge, huge market, and, and there'd be just tons and tons and tons of these PC games around. And so, did you ever purchase any? No, because I mean, like, I had a Mac, so I didn't really oh. care about Japanese PC gaming. Right. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was, it was like I remember going into these stores sometimes when I was still looking around and stuff, and being a little bit confused at first because like, you, you first, first you're walking like, okay, I'm just in the PC section, which is a weird first step to take into the store. You know, and then you like look around more. And you're like, oh, this is only these, and oh, they're those kind of games for those kind of players. So, uh, but you know, now of course, you know, not to say that that was the entire indie market for PC gaming in Japan, but like if like a super, super huge portion of it. But now you've got a lot more indie games that have kind of broken out online or are trying to go through Steam now or whatever. So. Right. We're getting a better look at some of those indie games. And even like now, I mean, you get some of them on, you know, uh, PlayStation Minis or PlayStation Mobile or the 3DS eShop or stuff like that. So, or, you know, I mean, like, remember, did you, I don't know if you ever noticed this, but uh, if you remember the Xbox Indies section. Yes. There was, so the, you know, the Kunio Kun games. Like, uh, like uh, River yes. City Ransom and Super, yes. Super Dodgeball. 
there was actually the official slash I, I don't I think it was official the official sequel to uh, Dodgeball came out through the Xbox Indies. Really? Yeah. I, I, I from now I could be wrong and it could have been on PC as well, but mm. my knowledge is that as terms of American access, that that's where we got it. And it was a really, really mm. weird thing because I mean back in the day that was a super big game. So right. you wouldn't think of a, a, a follow up game coming through the Xbox Indies, but that's how we actually got it. Yeah, and it's so confusing, and this is a whole other topic, but I dare say Arc System owns the rights to that property now. I I think, yeah. Because I, I just I bought that import they... Arc System 25th anniversary book, and it has some Kunio Kun stuff in there. Hmm. It's a little bit convoluted. I'm trying to think of... And then, I don't, I'm not cheating using Wikipedia, so I could be wrong. I know the, uh, the SMK Sega Technos police are going to get me, but... That was originally a, um, was it a Technos property? Yeah. Yeah. Technos. Yeah. I always want to slip and say Technosoft, but then that would be Thunder Force. Right. Yeah. (laughs) But, yeah, it gets confusing. I think Ark has it because I have, like, Super Dodge Brawlers or something of that nature for for the DS. And then, as you know, they've done stuff for Game Boy Advance, and um, yeah, the the um, the River City Ransom for Game Boy Advance wasn't wasn't super great. The River City Ransom I don't own, but I do own the NES Classic via the 3DS eShop that is on there. Okay, so um, so the game was Downtown Smash Dodgeball, and it came out through Miracle Kids, which was a Japanese indie team, but. I have. I, I really feel maybe there were original members. I feel or like it was original that... members, or if it was somebody, somebody connected to that team. Because if you look at the graphics for this game, it looks totally like a Kunio Kun game, and and it has mm. some kind of like the kind of commentary by the players at the bottom of the screen, stuff like that. So, mm. yeah, yeah, that was a huge game back in the day. Everyone on NES, everyone was like, oh, do- you know, Super Dodgeball. I remember playing that. All the time in the arcade um, at the not the arcade but like the bowling alley near my house that had arcade games and then I remember like that was one of the games I really really wanted to get the uh, the NES tap the four player multi tap for oh but when you say at the arcade was that on a play choice ten or was there an actual no no arcade no, no. there was an actual arcade game like the actual like solo machine cabinet oh I don't for some reason I don't remember oh, seeing yeah. the cabinet on that one yeah. No, no, it was it wasn't the NES version. It was like the just original arcade version. Wow. So, mm. so on to this email. <laughs> I have no idea what it's about either. So this is going to all be new to me. And it's in three sections. So. Oh my god. Uh, I, I really don't. Joseph, I have no Joseph, idea. You, is this like life? Is this life related? Is this uh, game related? I only is know this... bits of it. So we're gonna we're just gonna. Jump, jump into it and go right through it. So there's one, two, there's three. It's like it's like it's like a story, like the, the you know the beginning and the middle, of the end. So so we're gonna just go through it in parts. Okay. Hey guys, long term fan and avid listener of all the Morning Project shows, going back to the humble beginnings of warning a huge podcast. I can't count the number of times I've felt the urge to butt into your conversations, and I, I know that feeling. That's decided. Uh, whether it be to vehemently disagree, share my enthusiasm with something, or just add my two cents to any given topic. 
which is definitely the mark of a good podcast, if you ask me. In any case, outside a couple of Twitter interactions, I've never really bothered to write in. Partially because I typically only listen while commuting, out walking, and by the time I get in front of a keyboard, I kind of forgot what it was I wanted to comment (laughs) on. Or, in fact, the same thing may happen in between an interesting point being brought up and the remaining four hours of podcasts I want to listen to before commenting. As an aside, don't take that to mean I don't like the long episodes. I love them. I've actually been meaning to write since as far back as December at least. I recall having some disagreement about some things mentioned about Street Fighter V unveiling. Of course, at this point, I don't remember at all what they were. Go figure. I guess I'll say I'm super stoked for SF5. I'm intrigued by the new gameplay system, and it's far too early to pass judgment on how the game looks, much less how it plays, and leave it at that. SF4 looked like a hot mess in those first screenshots in 2007, mm-hmm. so I'm sure a lot can happen between now and whenever Street Fighter V comes out as well. On a second side note, I guess this is as good a time as any to mention I'm really awful at being succinct, and this email will probably end up being unbearably long. I hope you can take it as well as you dish it out, I suppose. <laughs> Which is fair. Okay, I think this is where it starts. Um, anyhow, it's a lazy Sunday evening, and I'm finally finding the time to sit down and write. The impetus for finally getting around to it may or may not have been Shidoshi's totally objectively, factually incorrect dismissal of Resident Evil Remake slash Remaster, but I'll get to that in a minute. First, I'd like to make a few comments. WRT. Oh, with regards to, Okay. Okay, wait, you write out this entire 2,815 <laughs> words, but you can't write out with regards to. Come on. If you're going to do it, go all the way. Uh, with regards to the announcement of the Evo 2015 lineup. Or rather, a few comments on your comments, I guess. On the whole, I was kind of surprised by the negativity of your reactions. What, to Smash Brothers? I hate to sound like some jerk know-it-all. But I'm kind of curious how in tune you are with the state of tournaments, the fighting game community, etc. Because I think a lot of it wasn't nearly as surprising as it seemed to be to you. Which we'll get to, we'll, we'll, so at the first break or next, no, God, there's a, it's not a break yet. Um, I'll, give you, I'll give you a chance for a point in a second. Uh, and oh, where was I at? Okay. Uh, first off, Smash Brothers. Smash is absolutely huge and has been oh. for a long, long time. Oh. Melee is an old game, but still has the most dedicated, hardcore community you could imagine. They contributed a fortune to the donation drive a few years back and have rightfully become an Evo staple since. Uh, Your arguments seem to be that since Smash 4 came out recently, Melee should no longer be at Evo, but I can't say I agree. Say what you will about Melee's players' stubbornness, but most of them do not play Smash 4. The two games, while very similar on the surface, are popular for different reasons. But at the end of the day, the two games both have big, dedicated player bases. Smash Mm. 4 gets in on account of being shiny and new, but Melee is still, at this point in time, not only a time-honored classic, but also the bigger game. You may have a preference for either game, or neither of them, but I think both both make a valid case for deserving a spot at EVO on their own merits. 
Okay, I'm gonna take a break here for a second so we can. Yeah, we can I, yeah. I don't know who want you. You want to go first? Well, or I me? mean, look, I, look. Let me say this first off. Let, let's thank the fan here for taking the time to even put this together. It's, it's, you know, they they can certainly put two words and two sentences together. So we appreciate the support. No, really. I mean, this isn't someone that doesn't know doesn't know what they're talking about. This is someone who's educated in their right. in their game, so to speak. Doesn't mean we have to agree. Um, so thank you for that. Because I really do enjoy the feedback and the fan mail. And, hey, it helps us out. It gives us something to talk about, to bounce things off of back and forth. If we're stopping at this point, so just for the first break, I mean, I'm really adamant about it. Here's here's the thing. And I already know what Joe can come back with is that the comeback he can have is that it's the size of the, the fan base for uh, both respective Smash titles and especially the previous one, not the latest and greatest. So, But what I'm about to say is, and it's the same thing you and I said, is that you, the foundation of Evo is like it's Street Fighter, okay? And if you're going to take up two precious spots on the main stage, there's no way Smash is deserving of two of the spots, that's reserved for Street Fighter, if you're even going to hog up two spots. I'm, I'm letting you say this. I'm letting you hang yourself. Go ahead. I, well, <laughs> oh, you're going to tell what? The no, evil, no, no, I no. Mean, are we? I mean, I don't know. Are we pressing my knowledge? I mean, we can go back. Are we going back to Battle by the Bay? Are we going back to pre-Evo? Like, are we going back to the... To the genesis of fighting game tournaments. No, no, no. I, I, mean, I, I don't. I mean, I don't if, I, if we do that, if I play that game, I'm not. And I'm not yelling at you. If we play that game and we cut this different ways, well, Smash doesn't come into the picture until N64 era, late '90s. So, I mean, it's Street Fighter. I, okay? I think I, I. So, and look, I want to be clear here. I am not a Smash Brothers person. I'm not a Smash Brothers player. So anybody listening to my comments who are Smash Brothers players, I'm admitting to you that I am not an expert on these things, and I am speaking from a point of at least partial ignorance. So I am totally admitting that to you guys. And I, you know, Anthony, you're, Anthony is not a big Smash Brothers player either. Correct? Yeah, I, like I said, I've been honest. I've I've given it a shot. I've spent my money on it the last two iterations. I I haven't really put a dent in it, so to speak. But I think I've played it enough to where I've given an honest opinion on the last show. And I think it. I still stand by that the games are fun. I think there's a ton of fan service. I love the visual art direction on the Wii U version, as do many as I do many of the other first party Wii U titles. I still stand by, and it could just be. Because of what I'm used to, I still feel that the platform element, the different levels versus the cliff aspects, um, which it's, I'm going to use the same word I used on the last episode, and it's no disrespect. It feels like a mess. Well, l- let me see if you agree with this. And I, again, I want, this is a difference of opinion, so I don't, I don't want to, you know, offend anybody with my opinions, but, um, I I am kind of a purist when it comes to f- fighting games. And I I do have a little bit of hesitation of having Smash have such a presence at what is a fighting game tournament. Now, this is the part, Anthony, I want to see if you agree with me or not. I would kind of equate having Smash at Evo 
to being like having, let's say, Power Stone at Evo? I don't. Yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with that assessment. It's just a sign of the times, and obviously, in that Smash is more popular, has the notable characters. But I, I see the analogy you're making. So yeah, I don't think that's so I, unfair. What I'm saying is, I, there are things that are kind of like fighting games, but are not what I would consider to be a traditional fighting game. And I just don't consider Smash Brothers to be a traditional fighting game. So I think that when you have a game like that, that you know gets two slots, two very very yeah, precious and- slots at Evo, that, that does kind of bother me a little bit. And that's the thing. I want to make clear again. It's not that I have an issue of Smash being in there. It's the fact that Smash got two spots. Right. And, and you know, I, again, I know people out there love Melee and, and would rather play Melee than the newest Smash. But, you know, I think I probably said this before, but it's kind of like, okay, should we have people still demanding that Street Fighter 2 be at Evo? Because there are still people who would much, much rather play Street Fighter 2 than they would... Yeah, um, I think there's the Street turbo scene still has a right. yeah, right. Or the years that we had KOF 13, if you're asking me personally, I would much rather have KOF 98. Cuz right. for some people like me, that is is one of the pinnacles of this of this the franchise and that's one of the games you go back to most. You go back to a 98, you go back to a, a 02, you know. Like, I would much rather see King of Fighters 98 at Evo than I would King of Fighters 13. But I know that the best thing for King of Fighters and for potentially getting more King of Fighters players to come into the the community and the best thing to show the population out there is the latest game, the one they can actually go to a store and buy. Right. That's the thing. is, Is if you're showing off Melee, that's great, but... How does a new player who has never been in Smash Brothers? How do they? How do they then enter your community through that? Yeah, and if the latest Smash wasn't being showcased, and I was Sakurai of Nintendo, I'd go and hang myself with the work <laughs> he put in, because yeah. he said he doesn't think he could do another Smash because he poured everything into this, and I'd be wanting to go kill myself if I did wasted the la- not wasted, but if I did the last two years of my life missing family time and vacations and getting ready to die of malnutrition for putting out two Smash Brothers games almost simultaneously, and then the fans go and clamor back to the previous installment. So, yeah. So, I mean, I think part of it is, you know what? You have to take kind of one for the team, and I I just feel like if I was a Smash player, even if I loved Melee way, way more than the latest Smash, I'd have to rationalize that it makes more sense to have the Smash that's on display be the one that people can go to a store and buy. Right. Be, be the one that will get people in. And once they're in that community, once they're starting to care more about Smash, once they're potentially going to local tournaments or, or getting together with other fans, then that's when they can say, oh, by the way, do you know this Melee thing? You know, That's when you can lead those new players to Melee. But that you don't want them to go directly to Melee. Right. It's going to frustrate the fans because it's like, let's say there is a new generation that looks at it and they're like, ooh, I want to go buy this and it's not the latest that you can find at your local shop. It's This may be a bit harsh, but it would be like me saying, hey, I think Waku Waku 7 on the Neo Geo is really fun. Let's go put that at Evo and then you go out and try and find the copy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's continue because he actually uh, touched on some of the points we just talked about. I also want to address the notion that Nintendo Smash is somehow getting preferential treatment by having two games in the lineup 
<laughs> Even in just recent years, 2012 featured Street Fighter 4, Street Fighter versus Tekken, Street, I'm sorry, oh. Street Fighter Cross Tekken, oh. Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo, and if you want to count it, Ult- Ultimate Marvel versus Capcom 3 on the mage stage. Street Fighter Cross Tekken was admittedly a bit of a dud, but Street Fighter 4 and, and Super Turbo were both amazing. So it's not like this is the first time like this has happened, and more importantly, I definitely don't think the event is worse off for it. But, as Anthony said, let's be fair. Evo is a Street Fighter tournament. <laughs> it is a Street Fighter tournament that allows other games to be there. And, you know, I mean, I don't think you can say Street Fighter 4 and Street Fighter Cross Tekken or anything the same. Those are nowhere near the same game. And, of course, neither is Marvel vs. Capcom. Right. You know, th- those are by saying. But, I, but I, in all fairness, I'm not. I'm joking around a little here. But I see what he's saying. But right, they are truly right. different. But I mean, right. that's like saying that's like saying right. that. Um, I think to be fair, it's kind of like saying that if you have Mark of the Wolves and King of Fighters, right. that's two of the same game. Well, <laughs> they're they're not. There are some crossover with characters, but they are completely different fighting games. Right. You know, and I mean, look, let's let's be fair, right? When when Pokin comes out, right. Are we then going to lump Pokemon in with Smash Brothers because they have Pokemon in them? You know, I would, I would, I would much, I would be far more comfortable. Let me be honest, I'd be far more comfortable having Smash and Pokemon at Evo than two Smashes because to me those are two. Oh yeah, I don't have a problem. Yeah, yeah. Two I'm like, I, I have to mention for a quick another plug for Warning Twenty Eight. A spot that made me laugh was Nick's reaction on. Oh, how Pokin was running on Wii U hardware, but still not insinuating that it would go home on Wii U. <laughs> it was the, it was the execution of how he said it, but yes. yeah, I mean, look, I fully ex- like if Pokin would have to be such a bad game not to get showcased. Yeah, and Evo would have to blow one's mind. Uh, yeah, so so okay. Um- you expressed some surprise, or at least disappointment, that King of Fighters 13 isn't back this year. Ugh. As much as I love the game itself, I can't say I'm surprised in the least. King oh, of why? Fighters has never been very big in North America. And at this point, the support for KOF 13 has started to dwindle pretty drastically. I feel like it was on its last legs, at least at last year's Evo. Um, so I'm not sad or surprised to see it go. It had a great run. But I don't feel it needs to say just for its name, for its name or legacy. Its community support isn't really there. I know who this. This isn't Joe. I know who this is. I'm happy to see it's, something else take its place, and that King of Fighters take a break until we at least get a new installment. Is, is this Reggie Fajin? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, look, look. I'm being completely honest. I mean, you know, you know, everybody knows I'm a, a big SNK fan. Um, right. I I can understand them saying King of Fire 13 didn't have the support. You know, I totally understand. Right. That. But right. Yeah, that, right. If we are going to say and this is this is me being an old person, I I admit that. If we are going to say this is a fighting tournament that has Street Fighter and others. I think that one of those and other slots should be SNK. Like I personally hate Namco's fighting games. I mean, uh, not to be fair, I, I do like Soul Calibur, I'm sorry. But I hate right. Tekken. I absolutely, positively hate Tekken. But I always think Tekken should have a slot. Or I right. I think Namco should have a slot. It, it should be um, 
uh, you know, it, it should be Soul Calibur or Tekken or Pokin or Tekken Cross Street Fighter or whatever they have, you know. Um, and part, partially where my rationalization breaks down is I also think Virtual Fighter should have a slot. Right. But I also know that community is definitely dwindling from where it used to be. Especially, right. especially, they, they, they need a new virtual fighter at this yeah, point. Yeah, right? especially in the West. So I am, you know, look, I am just, I'm admitting, I am very mixed on this. On one hand, I agree with you, and I understand why King of Fighters is not there. And I understand that if, if Smash is popular enough to have two slots, I know why it got two slots. I'm saying personally, as a fan of Evo, as a fan of fighting games, that bothers me. And, I, you know, there are a ton of SNK fighters that have never had a chance um, at Evo that I'd love to see. But again, it does come back to is the community there? You know, are the right. are the players there? And a lot of these games do get like smaller, like side streams co- coming off from Evo. You know, to be fair, but it, it makes me sad because King of Fighters 13 for the last few years has been like one of my highlights of Evo because right. the matches have always been so fun and so good. But again, yes, I'm admitting the fact that community might not just be there like it used to be. And that we desperately, desperately need a new SNK game. Um, I, for one, think King, 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 Killer Instinct <laughs> and Mortal Kombat X will be very, very exciting at EVO. <clears throat> KI did not have the best top eight last year. Certainly not awful. But aside from the game having a year to mature in terms of people playing the game, the game itself is almost a completely different game. The start of Season 2 last fall introduced some fairly major system imbalance changes, and by the time EVO 15 rolls around, there'll be something like 6 to 8 new characters as well. Hmm. As for MKX, uh, MK and Injustice have both had excellent showings at EVO, and if anything, I think there's a decent chance MKX's newness will work in its favor. Right. Okay, this person wrote favor with a U, so we know they're a, a, a dirty non-American. We know at least that much. <laughs> in any case... Most likely British. Yes. In any case, it won't be any newer than MK9, <clears throat> Injustice, Street Fighter Cross Second, or Marvel vs. Capcom 3 were at their respective first Evos. No, right. you know what? Look, I, I... No, I completely agree with that yeah, sentiment. I, yeah, I, I yeah, think World Combat at this point is actually a really decent fighting game, so I'm I'm glad to see it there. Killer Instinct, I do not care, but I won't, you know, whatever. It can be there. Right. It can have a slot. The one notable omission from the roster, in my opinion, was a game you didn't even mention. Oh, boy. And I, I heard this from other people, too. Uh, Undernight, In Birth, EXE, colon, Late, or LA. That's on the main stage? No, no, no. He's saying it's it's a notable omission. It's missing. Oh, cut me some slack on that one. No, 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 no. That game has a pretty decent fan base, though. Um, oh, I want numbers. The, <laughs> if people are playing this game with me, I want some. I need some proof now. Uh, the game made a kind of a surprisingly big splash when the Japanese oh. PS3 version came out in fall. I love this. And lots of people in the West Come. imported and seemingly fell in love with it. Oh. Between a number of innovative mechanics and an overall playstyle that sort of kind of caters to fans of both Street Fighter style footsies and anime air dashes, the game quickly caught on and has a had a significant presence at U.S. events months before it was over, its overseas release. Is this the one with Pai Chan and Akira? No, I don't see this. I don't think so. I don't know. I think you're thinking of something else, but I'm not sure. Yeah. 
I think it's finally coming out officially in the West in March or so, so I figured it would, would have had a pretty decent chance of being an Evo game. It, I probably have pegged it over P4U2, so Persona oh, 4 this, Arena 2. Oh. This person, this person. That makes me sad. He's getting paid. So I think, look, I I know <laughs> Undernight has, has fans out there. I definitely do. I think the problem with Undernight is there's just so many of these kind of smaller... Yeah, what's, what's the name one more time? Give me that name under one more night time. In, oh, Undernight in Birth. Yeah. There's that. There's, oh, uh, what was it? Like Chaos Code or something like that. And then wasn't there another one that came out just recently? But there's like, I feel like there's like... Yeah, the I, I'm little... totally with you. It's like we went from zero to 60 in, in, and then in you, six seconds. And of course, you've got like Arcana Heart... Yeah. And other ones like that. So I think the problem is there's just so many of those little anime fighting games that I don't know. And you want to know how my brain worked? And this is very this is very wrong to be saying on a podcast because it's such biased favoritism. This is how my brain works. Years two things, three. Years ago, if once again if I was 16 again and didn't have to worry about work and all that stuff, I would have bought all those games. That's part one. Uh Secondly, now that we have the now that we're oh, two, if they were spread out more instead of all inside of a few months, that would have maybe given me a chance to buy at least a couple more of these. That's part two. And lastly, because those two other options aren't realistic, when I saw Undernight and the one that had Akira and Pi and this and that and Persona, this is how my process of elimination worked. I went Persona. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and I, and I don't mean that. Real, I mean that like because it beca- let me let's let's elaborate because I know the Persona fighting game is going to have high production values. It has a certain name to live up to with them, with for lack of a better term, milking P three and P four. There was already that first iteration that they've now um, now tried to perfect. Arc System has done a wonderful job with two D fighters over the last decade, decade and a half. They've been getting a lot of. They've been doing a lot more of your higher quality slash two D niche fighters that normally the likes of Capcom and SNK would have done back in the day. And I dare say, arguably, a lot of your original Arc System members from Guilty Gear on PS One and on are former SNK members. So that's how my brain works. So I'm like, if I'm gonna pick between, like, I want something to fill that anime appetite and maybe that and that alternate to Street Fighter and what have you. That's why, in my mind, Persona wins. That's how it works for me. I'm not saying, you know what, maybe I would play Under Night in Birth, and this isn't me being sarcastic, because I do love some of these obscure fighters. Maybe I'd be surprised, and maybe I'd put more time into it than Persona. I don't know. But when when you've got three or four of these of those type of games sitting on your plate, that's how it, that's how it gets eliminated for me. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make Joseph a promise. I, so I was, I think I was mentioning earlier the fact that I, did, did I mention that the Criminals Girls video? Anyway, um, I don't remember if this was when we had to redo the intro or not, but I recently did um, a video, kind of a first hour look at Criminal Girls. Mm-hmm. And so I want to kind of start doing more videos of me kind of checking out some of these more niche Japanese games that people might not always get a chance to look at. So, Joseph, I will make you a promise. I will do a video for Undernight in Birth. What? Do you own it? Um, I, I do. Oh. 
I have not had a chance to check it out yet, but I, okay, I, okay. I do have, oh, I have, I have, let me say I have access to it. Okay, okay. I have access to it. Okay. So, I, sometime, let's say in the next month, I will do a video for Under Night and Birth. That, that okay. way I will sit down, I will play it, I will record my playing it, I will prove that I played it, and I will give it a little more of a chance to get some exposure. <laughs> so. Right. How far along are we into uh, Mr. Joseph's uh, letter? You don't want to know. We, we are in the first of three sections. <laughs> so. Okay. Uh, we're, oh, good Lord, where am I at? Uh, okay. And what we can do is we'll marker it. It's 1130, obviously not for listeners, but let's see where we're at by midnight and we can do a marker point and then maybe f- finish the fan mail. The oh, no, no, no. One. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll get through by midnight. Okay. Um, okay. I'm sorry. No, no, no. We got through the first section. Okay. So this is, this is, okay. this is part two. Okay. This is okay. where it really starts hitting, hitting me. I, I, you know, if you've thought it's, he's been, he's been a little bit upset so far. You haven't seen anything yet. Okay. <laughs> Well, this email is getting obscenely long. He says he makes it way longer. So I'll try to get to what was ostensibly the point of writing in. How right. Shidoshi is utterly wrong about Resident Evil. Ooh. Frankly, I was quite taken aback by your comments. And if not disdain, then at least apathy for remake. Of course, I'm not exactly unbiased. I enjoyed the game very much. I enjoyed the game very much on GameCube, and it's no stretch to say it's my favorite Resident Evil game bar none. Opinions will differ, of course, but still, it's surprising to me. I'm sorry, it's still, it still surprised me to hear you being so dismissive of this game, or at least this release. Primarily, a notion that modern RE games have somehow made this game obsolete. Don't get me wrong; I think RE4 is an absolute masterpiece. I enjoyed RE5, and some would probably call me an RE6 apologist. Actually, I loved RE6. So, um, But the point is precisely that both types of games do different things, and they each scratch a different itch. Remake, to me, is one of those very rare examples of a video game remake that takes everything that was successful about the original, amplifies it, while sim- simultaneously adding, changing, and innovating enough to make the game seem fresh and modern. Sure, aspects of it will probably feel frustrating to some who've never played a classic Resident Evil before, but couldn't you say the same of just about any game designed in the 90s? Regardless, and as tired and as excuse as this may seem, I think it's absolutely true that what may be perceived as frustration, tedium, or a lack of controls is central to building the tension that the game is all about. I think that's complete BS. I know people keep telling this is me. This is me talking. I know people keep saying that. I think that's complete BS. But I'll I'll save getting into that. But hasn't Capcom admitted that themselves that to an extent that that was part of the? I don't remember them admitting to it, but I know mm. that for so long that that like it's always the well the controls are supposed to be hard because that makes it scarier and more tense. Um, the camera angles you're, you're supposed to not be able to see things because that makes it scary and more intense. When, uh, when of course I'm going to give them I'm going to give them a little bit of credit. I'm going to I'm going I'm to do a game comparison as to why, and I'm not discrediting you completely on this. I'm going to tell you why there's some belief, uh, why I believe some of that, <clears throat> because Resident okay. The third-person, over-the-shoulder Resident Evil, if it had, quote, perfect control, and I I don't want to use the word perfect on this other game because it's not perfect, 
But if that were the case and you had the appropriate turnaround control and the speed and the sidestepping and all that, you would essentially have a control style much more akin to Gears of War. Yeah. And if and if Resident Evil played like Gears of War, it wouldn't be Resident Evil anymore. I don't agree with that. I think Resident yeah, Evil... I, yeah, I, I have to admit on that. Yeah, yeah, yes. The reason I got into this long thing a couple years ago with Neil... Um, it's to, and it's I will not open this can of worms right here, and it's not because it was a bad conversation, but we discussed this back and forth, like uh, not professionally, but if yeah, if if you gave Resident Evil Mario sixty four esque or Gears of War or modern Western perfected third person shooter controls, that game wouldn't really feel like Resident Evil anymore. So, are you saying Resident Evil six didn't feel like Resident Evil? Well, that's a good point you bring up because that's well, that's a very good point. Um, I I, I think Resident Evil is it's the atmosphere, it's storytelling, it's the characters. It's, I th- I think it's those kind of things. I don't I, I don't think, think bad. I don't. Th- and I, I know this is going to sound real wishy washy. Like I need to make my mind up. I don't think you're wrong in that either. I think now can you make a game with quote perfect or more traditional modernized controls and still have a horror game? Yes. But then you best make sure that, like, what you're dealing with in that game, the way it's designed, it's got to... It's really got to do some stuff to F with your head. But here's here's the problem with this, um, in part, and this is, this is one of the fallacies of Resident Evil fans uh, since the beginning. Resident Evil has never been scary. We discussed this on the last show. Yeah. I quoted some it's former not scary. workers. I, I, I mean, I know you're going to disagree with me, probably, but it's, it's, it's. I don't remember the exact conversation we had last time. But Resident Evil's not scary. It's, it's, it's not. It's, it's. You know, it's, it's Dawn of the Dead. It's, it's that kind of like it's The Walking Dead. It's, the, you know. What if I said that there was more of an excuse for the old style Resident Evil controls, even if it wasn't full on scary in the mid to late '90s? But then as time went on with improved visuals, hardware to make these games, that that in turn also caused that argument to become outdated due to the advancement in hardware. No, I, I can I can agree with that to some level. But I, I, I think maybe the middle ground on this would be is that excuse was acceptable for early iterations. But I would say maybe that that excuse is no longer acceptable to an extent. Because of how much time has passed and what we've learned about camera work and, and et cetera. Like, okay, let me, let me give you an example of, of the camera, for example, right? Like, people are always saying, well, the camera made it scary because you can't see everything. But, okay, when, when, you, when you play as Jill and you start the game, you go into the dining room, right? And Barry's there, you know, uh, I'll be examining this. Right, right. You know, hope it's not Chris's blood. <laughs> you know, so he's looking at the blood and you go into the hallway and then, of course, you make the left-hand turn, and you get the scene of the zombie eating. Um, I think Kenneth was it Kenneth or yeah, I think yeah, I know, I know that first scene where he yeah. looks over the shoulder. His head, his head falls over. Okay, zombie gets up. You're you're in a scene where you can perfectly see the zombie. You can perfectly see where the zombie's at, but because of how close he is to you, your, your natural inclination is to back up a little bit. Right. But as soon as you back up, the camera switches to show. The hallway going down the hallway away from the way you're facing. Yes, I know exactly. So you, what you're you can now completely not see the zombie that you just saw and that you already know is there. So 
the horror is not coming from the camera. What's coming from the camera is very annoying gameplay because you can't be certain of where the thing that your character can perfectly see from their vantage point is even at that point. Well, I would say with my pea brain, I kind of, I'm going to kind of meet you on this, is that, and probably just because of my stupidity, I, whenever I saw those games with the, with those camera angles, whether it be Resident Evil or Final Fantasy 7, 8, 9, etc., I always thought those that camera work was done just for the perspective and to make it more movie-like. I never, for, like in Resident Evil, I never thought of the... I'll, I'll meet you on that. I never thought of it like this, but I, I, I never thought of the horror coming from the angle. I, I think it's both. I think it's both. But I, I think it's... Um, it's just like, oh, well, and the other reason too at the time, what, you know, not only was it for that Hollywood that effect, which I still think to some extent can be viable today. Um, also, as we know, they did the pre-rendered backgrounds because the hardware couldn't create everything in true 3D at the time. Right, right. I think part of the problem though is that at the end of the day, it's a game, right? And when you're when you're bringing down gameplay in certain aspects like controls especially controls especially the moment you say we're making the controls worse to make the horror greater (laughs) you're breaking your game to me Mm. but anyway let's go through more because i have more to this but let's go um yeah it's annoying to find yourself in a room and realize you don't have enough inventory slots to complete the puzzle forcing you to run all the way back to an item box and switch items around but at the same time, that's the game. As you rightly point out, Resident Evil was never exactly scary. Thank you. But what I think RE Remake succe- succeeds tremendously at is building a very tense, oppressive atmosphere where you never feel confident about any of your choices, but you feel damn good when things eventually do go your way. I also think a lot of the fun in the game comes from kind of the meta game of learning how to handle or better yet avoid combat learning to feel confident in going from multiple puzzles in a row without stopping to get healing items, etc., etc. There is a lot of trial and error, but the reward in getting the skills and knowledge to blaze through the game really quickly and effectively, which in my opinion is really, really fun. And I, and I will say something right here. Um, back in the day of the original Resident Evil, I was a speedrunner. I, I ended up speedrunning that game to the point where I got really, really fast. Like I never, I never got to the point of doing the knife-only runs. Some people were trying to do, you know, those crazy Japanese players. Um, right. I have no idea how they pulled that stuff yeah. off. But, but no, I, I was speedrunning the game. And I, I understand what he's saying at that point because that's I used to do it. Like at this point, I can't do that. I just can't. I can't care enough about because there's so many other games I could be playing instead, you know. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I might spend that time playing like Pac-Man CE to do a better speedrun. You know? Right. Uh, I think asking for convenience in a game like this is missing the point. Uh, if you weren't reliant on save spots, limited inventory slots, item boxes, etc., there wouldn't really be any point to the game. The voicing of frustrations that this game doesn't feature first-person aiming, recoverable health, and quick saves to me sounds like a misunderstanding of what the game is. Your character usually runs around the gun, sure, but it's not an action game. Um, it's really more of an adventure resource management game with some very slickly... Slight, I'm sorry, with some very slight action-y elements. RE4 and to later extended sequels were a brilliant reinvention of RE as an action game and as mentioned, it's a fantastic game. 
I do ever think it's a fallacy to claim that because RE4 created a mold that's more action-oriented, more responsive, or generally more palatable to modern tastes, that somehow invalidates RE remakes and games like it as great games in their own right. To me, RE Remake is a perfect companion piece to RE4, as between the two, you really ought you, so you really get to experience everything that was great throughout the entire series. I love them both, but after RE4 was released on GameCube, PS2, PC, Wii, PS3, 360, and PC again, I'm so unspeakably happy that finally RE Remake is available for purchase again on right. platforms where people might actually be open for this type of game. So, I want so partially making Joseph happy is that the more time I spent with with this remake of RE, um, the more I was enjoying it. So I, I since our last podcast when I talked about it, I actually was liking it better, partially because of my my memories of the the old game and going back through it and right. and just you know like this is still a good game. But I think the problem for me was just. The the me that existed when Resident Evil first came out and first played that game and first enjoyed that game and the me that exists now are two different people. And there are some games that I can go back and I can say, this still stands the test of time. You know, this is still a fantastic game. But there are other games where you go back and you're like, you know what? I've I've matured past that kind of game. And I, I don't know that I need to play it anymore. You know, I can go back to River City Ransom, that was talked about earlier, um, and still play that and still enjoy it. I still think it's a great game and it's still fantastic for what it is. But, you know, I go back to, let's say, um, you know, Top Secret Episode, the Goggle 13 game on NES, <laughs> which I loved. I loved and adored and, and played so much of as a, as a child. Right. I could never play that again. And I'm not saying Resident Evil is, is on that level of game. What I'm saying is, is you know what I've I've changed from the person I used to be, so I don't know that I can just appreciate Resident Evil anymore for for what it was as much as I could before. Right. I still do like the game, but you know what I I do find it annoying when um, a key takes up as much of an inventory slot as a rocket launcher does. <laughs> and in a game that's so much about keys and unlocking doors, like, why why do I have to waste so much of my management, uh, my, my inventory space on, on keys, you know? Or right. on other little things, like like save ribbons. I mean, if, if you want to make saving harder, that's okay, but I don't always think it's a valid excuse because if you, if you look at a game like Dark Souls, right? Nobody's going to say Dark Souls is easy. Nobody's going to say Dark Souls isn't tense. But right. that, that game lets you save anywhere and anywhere whenever you want. Because mm. they, they, they figured out how to make gameplay that is still challenging and difficult and, and you know, um, menacing without having to be based around save systems. That's where, that's where I think, just as I'm coming out as a gamer now, is I think there are certain crutches that I don't agree with anymore. Right. And save systems are one, inventory management's another. I mean, I'm playing Dragon Age Inquisition still and I'm baffled about the inventory management. I don't understand why there's a limit cuz they they like like with healing items for example, they limit the healing items. And that's really the only kind of Oh, I'm sorry, healing items and like the grenade potions and stuff like that. So if you're limiting those and how many you can carry, then 
what what's it matter how many pieces of armor I have on my character at one time? You know, like like give me enough that I can actually collect things and try things and see which one's better than the other one and stuff like that. So I think there's certain things in games that just have been used for quote unquote challenge that I think are kind of BS. Mm. But like I said, I the more I was playing Resident Evil remake, the more I was I was kind of like, well, you know, this is still a really fun game in some ways and I do still like it and it is kind of still worth going back to, but there's just there's just the frustrations there that part of me kind of feels like I wish I hadn't gone back. And I played on GameCube too back in the day, you know. And I loved it then, but that was kind of because at that point it was a total remake. And it was just so mind-blowingly different than the original that, you know, you you still loved it despite its faults. Mm. So my big problems is what he then gets into next as the fi- finishing <laughs> out the second section. Right. As for the HD remake... Well, they didn't have added anything to it, and I'd still jump on the chance to buy this game again. <clears throat> Considering the reliance on low-res 2D assets, though, I just never expected it to happen at all. With that in mind, I think they did a really commendable job of this version. Sure, some background details look a little muddy at times, um, but that's a very tiny price to pay. 95% of the game, and at the time, it looks even more breathtakingly gorgeous than it did in 2002, so I don't have it in me to complain about the other 5%. The widescreen modes and Super Mario 64 control options I don't care about at all, but unlike many other HD re-releases, this one at least gives me the option to play in 4.3 with the Type-C controls of the GameCube version I loved so much. Would a remake of RE2 have been cool? Of course. It would have been awesome. But I think that if this game does well, I hope it th- that convinces Capcom to release RE2 HD line of reasoning I've heard a bunch of lately as a pipe dream. Say mm. nothing of the idea that they should have done that instead of remaster. The complaints that people have had, this version offers so little improvements over the GameCube version, it's reason this game ex- it's the reason this game exists in the first place. It ought to go without saying that redoing a 320 by 240 resolution PS1 game to modern standards would either take far, far bigger efforts or look like complete crap. <laughs> I'm abso- I'd absolutely love to be proven wrong get Remake 2, but let's just say I'm not holding my breath. Although I hear it's not terribly great, I would like to see the rumored Resident Evil 0 HD, which I think, if we get it, this is me personally, if I think we get anything, we're getting that before Resident Evil 2. I, I totally agree. Because yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Yep. Uh, and following that, I think the Resident Evil Outbreak games could benefit greatly from being re-released in an era when online gaming is actually a thing. He's talking about those PS2... Uh, right. Mm. So I think this is my bigger complaint about... The- didn't those, have, those had poor AI, didn't they? I never even played them, actually. I want to say that's what made me throw in the towel on those early was the really poor AI. Hmm. Because I think you, it had like a partner system or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's coming back now. Wow. So, so I think my, my bigger problem with this is the, the port. And um, so, you know, Joseph, we can, we can kind of go back and forth on if Resident Evil is still a great game or not. And kind of like if it's, you know, too old in this way or still fresh another way. But... I think where we're going to totally disagree is is in the port. Um, I I think there are times when this looks very nice, when just the way they up res it and everything, you know, does look good. 
but I just, I just it feels kind of lazy to me. And mm. when you know the the widescreen mode in this game is literally taking the square, you know, the four three version of the game, and just cutting the tops and bottoms of it off. Like that's what the widescreen version is, and that's just like super sloppy to me. And I I have a problem with you know it's it's like um I don't know I'm trying to think of a good comparison but there's just times when a company will just keep remaking the same game over and over again right and you're like you know what you know you have to like impress me more if you're going to keep doing this so right if you're going to keep charging yeah 20 30 bucks or whatever you got to you got to throw me a bone somewhere. So, you know, I mean, look, I'm not saying this shouldn't have existed. Absolutely not. I would never say a game shouldn't exist because for people like Joseph who who love it, I I am not the kind of jerk that would want to take that game away from them. You know? So, absolutely. I am glad it exists. I'm glad people like Joseph get a game that they they really, really love going back to. And again, I I have had some joy going back to it. But if I'm sitting here thinking about what I want, you know, out of gaming and what I would want from Resident Evil Remake, this isn't enough for me anymore. You know, if you're going to do this, then completely remake, at the very least, completely remake the the the, the all the all the world elements in, in 3D, and right. not and not have it be a third, third person shooter, but have it just be better about like, you know, way more. Um, camera views and things like that and, oh, to and, give you more freedom with the fully yeah, rendered, you know. yeah and and just you know do some other updates that make me feel like i understand why i'm spending my money again on the mm. game you know like if i look at um dmc from capcom's coming out soon for ps4 and xbox one yeah i can't I, believe it it's like I, I, a month yeah and i absolutely want it and part of the reason right. is it's going to have full 60 frames a second gameplay which makes right. a big difference you know, so for that, I have I know why I'm getting it. For Last of Us, the visuals were so different, and the frame rate was better, and the lighting was better. So I understood why I was getting it. But there's sometimes when you get a, a, a you know a remake, where you're like, I don't understand what I'm being given for my money. <clears throat> I want I want you to finish Joe's email. Well, so that bit. that's that's the end of the Resident Evil part, and there's one more section. Then okay. I was going to say this real quick. This is going way back earlier, and I, I forgot to follow up with this. Speaking of this generation and lack of chances and things like that, you know, we've said in the past that this generation has to be thankful for all of the HD remakes, which obviously we're talking about right now. And I'm going to mention another one that's coming, which I will surprise you that I will probably invest in if they do a nice job. But I will also admit that it's one that probably no one asked for or expected. But yet another example of a game that we've already seen coming again, Darksiders 2. Yeah, and that was surprising. But I'll tell you the problem I have with Darksiders 2. It's the same problem I have with Dark Souls 2. Is like the games, when, when, the, when these first started, they were collections, right? Like, like Ratchet and Clank oh, oh, 1 to yeah, 3. Oh, I see, yes. or, yeah, I or, see where you're headed again. You know, yeah, this yeah, this yeah. 1 to 3 or, or whatever. Or, <clears throat> right. uh, you know, Borderlands Collection is... It's, it's kind of weird because it doesn't have Borderlands 1, but it has Borderlands 2 and Pre-Seek 1 stuff. Like, why isn't it Darksiders 1 and 2? Why isn't it Dark Souls 1 and 2? 
It, it almost reminds me um, in an odd way of like, I, I, mean, I think we said this too. It's like the DVD and then Blu-ray and then the Blu-ray retransfer and a 3D version and na 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 and having 10 versions of the same movie and then it gets to a point where I'm like, I can't, I already bought this movie 10 times. <laughs> now, while the medium in this instance isn't changing, we're not going from DVD to Blu-ray to 3D, etc. But we are still going, okay, yeah, sometimes it's on a different platform, but it's like, it's just, it's totally like the, the movie thing. Like there's, I, I'm sure this has happened to you. Like I bought like when Blu-ray first started, I bought like 300 or RoboCop and this and that and a Predator. Mm-hmm. And then like a year or two later, it's like, oh, this is like the definitive transfer. Right, this. right. And I never bought them. I'm like, get the hell out of here. But it, it's it, that's what it's turning into. That that aspect of gaming is starting to mirror that of the home movie market. Well, that that and if you know talk about that, like I mean, it's not a perfect example, but it's it's almost kind of like <clears throat> if we were to get um, like Kill Bill two on Blu-ray, but not Kill Bill one on Blu-ray. Yeah, you know? that's a good point. As, right, soon as, yeah. as soon as you get one, of course you want the other. You know, if right. I, I've never I've never played Darksiders, right? Either one, but you know. I would I would potentially want to, but I would never pl- go back and play them if I can only have one of the two games. Mm. Like I want both. Yeah, now, it's a valid point. I mean, I'm not. I can't argue that. Right. Yeah, I mean, but yeah, Dark Souls is a little different. I want the first Dark Souls because it's just a much better game. But with that too, I'd kind of be like, well, gee, I've I've missed Dark Souls games so far. I kind of want to play the first one too. You know, so why are you only giving me the second? And again, you know, it goes back to when the, when all these remakes started, we were getting like collections of stuff. Right. Remember when we got, you know, um, Eco and Shadow of the Colossus on yeah. PS3, right? Yeah. You know, or you get like the Make Cry collection, you get God of War collection, you get all these kind of collections. And now it's just, we're going to just sell you one game for 60 bucks. <laughs> Admittedly, before the, the uh, gaming police get us, it's probably around 40, I bet. But, well, but I we'll, get your we'll point. We'll see because um, what the, there's the one remake coming out that, that is actually 60. Well, which one is that? Is it, is it is it Dark Souls? Yeah, Dark Souls Two. It's sixty. Oh, see that? Oh, I didn't even want to admit. See that kills me so much because I have my limited edition Dark Souls Two on PS3, mm. and I've yet to pop it in. That's the way it always works. Yep. I mean, and I'm not like upset for having it. It actually is in a nice. I actually like some of the metal cases. It came in a nice metal uh, DVD kit or whatever case. But how soon is the remaster coming out? Like a month or so. Like March or April. So. So what is uh, okay. Joey got to say yep. here on the last uh, piece? Final part of this email? Phew. Okay. So at this Phew. point, I've already written a novel's worth of ramblings. <laughs> but I'd like to close out with my two cents on the most wanted remasters topic. I was confused by Anthony bringing up Devil May Cry. Oh. Not sure if he's unclear on what a remaster would entail, or if he just has an awful memory, but DMC did get an HD port to PS3. I don't know if he meant he would like to see it get yeah. totally remade. Right. In a Metal Gear Solid, Twin Snakes, Bionic Commander rearmed, etc. sense. Mm. But considering the topic of more straight re-releases and for the sake of keeping crazy pipe dreams to the minimum, I thought I'd pick a few games I'd love to see re-released more or less as is with nicer visuals. Okay. So what's your answer to that, Anthony? Oh, uh, what's my DMC pick? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, no, it was for real. And I'm not doing this as a cover-up, and I've said this on Twitter. When I said the DMC remaster, I meant in the vein of what they've done with Resident Evil in terms of like redoing the assets. and Yeah, because yeah, I'm well aware of that. I do own that collection. So that was just... Uh, that's just how it came out. Um, my first pick would be production number three, or PNO three. Mm-hmm. I've actually still never played this game, despite buying it about eight years ago. But it always intrigued me, both in for its visuals and from everything I'd heard about how it played. Similar to RE, I think putting this out on multiple platforms in 2015 would really improve the chances of it fighting its way to an audience. The minimalist style of the graphics also means it scales really, really well. And I'd like to see fantastic, and it, it look really fantastic in higher resolutions, even with little to no changes made to the actual art assets. Just take a look at the, these dolphin screenshots and tell me it wouldn't make for an awesome HD release. Mm. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but there's um, a an, a DS emulator that can that can up the resolution of DS games. Really, and they look crazy different. Really, yeah. I'll I'll show you a link after we're done. They're like sometimes in a, is it sometimes in a good way or? Oh yeah, I mean like they they look like it looks like going from a, like a DS game to a Dreamcast game. What? But it's the exact same game. It's just it's just how it renders just because the, of the, the resolution cleanup. Yeah, yeah. It, it is shocking like how some of these games look when you when you have just like a better really like, texture rend- rendering. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, you could definitely do that with some games. It's just, and that's the thing is, like, I've always been sad about is that, and I understand why, but you kind of wish like some of these systems when they allow backward compatibility, they had like the better options for doing that. You know, what I mean, like the PS2 and the PS3. No, PS2, I don't know if it did or not, but PS3 had like the texturing stuff for PS1 to make. It well, look that's a right. The better. smoothing you could. Tur- yes, yeah. that's right. I mean, it wasn't like <clears throat> super super great, but it was, it was at least something. Right. You kind of always wish I was like would work because yeah you look at things like dolphin which is the was it gamecube emulator that uh yes that sounds right yeah and you see like just games that look completely different and so much better in the higher resolutions Mm. um i second the suggestion that jet set radio future would be pretty great but my second pick might be shinobi kunoichi on the ps2 Mm. two games yeah but whatever i think either or both of them would be really cool much like Piano 03, their visual flair relies less on polygons and textures and more on style as well right, as so just... so he's got a smart angle. He's looking at more the artistic yeah. direction. Which, which makes sense. <clears throat> as well as just looking really cool in motion. Sega seems right. to be no stranger to fairly bare-bones re-releases. And compared to most of the Dreamcast stuff they've tried out, this is something I'd be legitimately excited about. And to be fair to Sega, and our Sega bashing earlier... Um, their their 3D re-releases for their games are phenomenal. Right. Partially because they went with M2, who right. actually knows what they're doing, you know. But they did that, and they did, like, the re-releases of, like, the Monster World collections and, and other kind of games. They did, like, a lot of re-releases. I mean, like, for older, older stuff, though. Right. Not the more modern stuff, but, you know. So I can't fault Sega too much, but... And then I guess, you know, we did get Jet Set Radio, which I loved on the Vita. And yeah, and I've got it on yeah, PS3 to download. Yeah, their 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 Dreamcast stuff was kind of iffy, you know, with some of those. But the Jessica Radio turned mm. out pretty well. Uh, okay, so this last one is purely in full fledged remake, modern day sequel territory. But how cool would it be to see Nintendo revive? Pre-
pro wrestling. <laughs> For many years, I've lamented the death of non-WWE simulation wrestling games. And Joseph, if you, if you have not listened to our podcast about that, then I am ashamed of you. <laughs> uh, in the 80s and 90s, there were tons of different kinds of wrestling games, from Fire Pro to WrestleMania Arcade to Muscle Bomber to you name it. But for the last 10 plus years, there seems to have been very few wrestling themed games that didn't rest on a WWE license, a more sim-esque approach, or both. I know there's been stuff like a few cool Kinikuman games and Rumble Roses, which I desperately wanted to like, not because of the wrestling game climate. Wait, oh, I'm sorry. Which I desperately wanted to like, much because of the wrestling game climate being what it is. Yes, I completely agree. I wanted to like the game so much. Uh, but by in large, it's WWE by Ukes or nothing. I really miss wrestling games that aren't afraid of being video games, not to mention wrestling games that actually feature some nice, interesting, and dare I say, Japanese visuals. So while a new version of, say, Muscle Bomber feels both improbable and a little scary... I'm convinced that Nintendo could do a kick-ass job with a new take on pro wrestling. General consensus seems to be that they were very successful in their out-of-the-blue reboot of Punch-Out, and while that game undoubtedly had a stronger original game to draw from, it doesn't seem far-fetched at all to me that Nintendo, of all people, could figure out how to make a fun, intuitive, and charming wrestling game. Although the overlap with Wii U ownership might not be the greatest, I have to imagine there's a sizable contingent of a certain age with very fond memories of the original game too, so I'd like to think there could at least be somewhat of an audience for this, but maybe I'm just Mm. crazy. Um, Joseph, definitely, if you have not listened to our podcast on wrestling games, uh, go back and listen to that, because we cover all of that in there. Um, I think the problem is that Nintendo's gone for the most part. You know, I mean, the, the, the Nintendo that released, you know, Clue Clue Land, Ice Climber, Pro Wrestling, um, Popeye, God, what are the kind of old NES games? Uh, you know, it's, but I mean, to be fair, like a lot of those companies are gone. You know, like, I mean, look at Konami's NES output and look at Konami now. You know, look at Capcom's NES output and look at Capcom now. I think games cost too much now for them to take that many risks. And right. I think we're also in a different era when, you know what? Nintendo doesn't have to make a wrestling game. They just let somebody else do it if, if, if people want wrestling games. Well, I want to get all on board for this pro wrestling remake, but there's there's two things I have to do. One, I have to do a shout-out to Kincorn Karn. <laughs> Secondly, um, I'm all for Nintendo trying to revitalize this hypothetically. Here's my. You want to know what my biggest fear is? You hmm. ready? Hmm. Because I could totally see them doing I, I, this. I know. I know you're gonna go. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna guess. Do? Yep. You're good. I usually guess where I'm headed. Yeah. I, I'm gonna be stunned if you get this one. Oh, okay. I, I, I my guess was gonna be you would be worried. Be it be Mario wrestling. <laughs> That's. <laughs> you're kind of close. Okay. Don't do this pro wrestling remake and then have it just be where you're in you're transferring over like your me look oh, or yes, your I me. Would say that, that I am yeah. so sick of that. 
and it doesn't appeal to me. And for, and I know there's people screaming right now at the uh, radio. They're like, wait a minute. Did you remember on Xbox 360 they did similar with Fire Pro with your avatar? I, I was going to say, so what, you you're saying you didn't like it on, on Xbox 360? Oh, I would. I never touched it because <laughs> of that. Never touched it because that was a complete waste. So, yeah, I'm all for this pro wrestling. Um, but I think the formula has kind of got to go back to like that original... Saturday Night Slam Masters, a.k.a. Muscle Bomber. You know, something like that, but with more depth. And, and But here's the thing. The thing that's so sad is, like, the day of those large sprites and that awesome the sprite work and that art direction, that 90s anime cool look is, you know, I, I don't know. Tell me, though. Tell me you could not see Mario Wrestling. Oh, that wouldn't surprise me. Nintendo will put, I mean, if they've done it, and which, albeit, I do like it, that golf game on 3DS. But, yeah, I mean, you've got him in everything from golf to tennis to baseball to what have you. I mean, there's they have no shame. They'll just put a lucha mask, a toad mask on his face. Can, and, can, can you and, imagine? Um, can you imagine? <laughs> I just have this picture of, like, uh, uh uh, Mario and Luigi giving <laughs> giving Peach like the deadly death drop through a table. <laughs> just all these like classic scenarios, <laughs> but just replayed with like Mario characters. And then maybe Mario wrestling a uh, Donkey Kong instead of a bear. Yeah, oh, but no, yeah. no. I, you know what? I I think I think your worry might be might be closer to mine. Is that if we did get that, it would be our our, our Mies wrestling? Yeah, it's like, yeah, lame sauce. And and that's the thing is is the problem is, and again, this is gonna just make people think I hate Nintendo, but Nintendo just isn't the old Nintendo. So if we got a wrestling game, it would it would be a very very casual game, like what mm. Microsoft had. Um, Oh my god! Why am I spacing on Fire Pro? Fire Pros. Such what? a lost opportunity. Why am I spacing on the on the, the team's name? But um, yeah, I mean they they made the Fire Pro completely casual. Uh, you know, I and I have no faith that Nintendo wouldn't do the same. Human. Human. Yes. Thank you. So, I don't think I don't think Nintendo has any interest. Not that they can't. I think they have no interest in doing. A wrestling game for wrestling fans. Which also, by the way, not to be rude and cut you off like that, the creator of Fire Pro, Masato Masuda, was also the man behind NES Pro Wrestling. Oh, I, that's, or, I don't know if I remember that or not. At least that's what Wiki's claiming. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I look, we, 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 we did a whole damn four-hour show on it. But yeah, I mean, I, us more than anyone would love a unique... Uh, thinking outside the box pro wrestling game arcade style to return with some depth and you know a whole lot of fun yeah i mean yeah because we went into it on the show like but like right you know the problems with wwe wrestling games and why that kind of stifles creativity right. and, and stuff so yeah but like i said i don't think you're gonna get it from nintendo at this point like i just don't i don't think they have any interest in making games that aren't appealing to the largest target audience right and i i at this point, I don't think that and a wrestling game that wrestling fans will love can necessarily go together. Mm. But um, all right, all right. 
it's high time to wrap this up. Thanks a ton for making a bunch of cool podcasts. And if you made it this far, thanks for indulging me. As always, looking forward to future shows, Joseph. Well, thank you very much, Joseph. Uh, appreciate it. We had a little bit of fun with that letter there, a little uh, taking a couple jabs and poking some fun at you, but uh, all seriousness, so it was a great letter and some great talking points and opening up a lot of different types of dialogue. So, uh, yeah, and, thank, and you know, thank you very much. Yeah, and the thing is, I mean, like, people are never going to agree on everything. And, and right. so I don't think Joseph's wrong on any. Uh, no. I mean, okay, there's one or two things where I might say, yeah, he's wrong. But <laughs> for the most part, I don't I don't say Joseph's wrong. I just say we have different opinions. And, right. Um, yeah, so then, yeah, that's kind of the fun. Like, it's it's fun to hear what people agree with us, but it's also fun to hear what people disagree with us. Right. It makes it, makes it, uh, makes a show, makes it more entertaining and something to talk about. Yeah. You know. Well, with that, uh, we are now, we are about at 150 minutes, about two and a half hours, which still makes this one of the shorter generic video game podcasts. But once Isn't again, that ridiculous? It, it's unbelievable. Isn't two and a half hours. Like, man, two and a half hours. We're really <laughs> slacking today. Yeah. So with, uh, we're, uh, we're getting lazy with all our donations, uh, sipping cocktails here on the beach, cutting our time short, uh, coming in at just under three hours. But uh, once again, want to thank all of the Morning Project, all the Generic Video Game Podcast fans, checking us out, hitting the subscribe button. Uh, we're, we'll get into more details on the thank you. Some people I've hit up via email already. There are some names I'm not aware of, but which have sent out some funds to other shows. But uh, to all of you, thank you. Uh, for myself, Anthony, thank you for your patience hanging in there with us and looking forward to future content. And for my one and only co-host, Shidoshi, until next time, have a great one. <laughs>